Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, Our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about trouble trying to be responsible. One-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish the same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news, news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 Bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. There, there's, there's a definite problem. I'm assuming is with Telegram. I didn't intend to play that to start. Wednesday, February fourteenth, twenty twenty four. Thank you for joining me today. I, I hope it's still playing on Telegram. God only knows what kind of weird things I'm dealing with today. But it, it for some reason it was doubling up with the audio, so I just had to figure that out. I just closed it. So I have a great show planned for you today. Uh, and some important follow ups on a couple of stories in regard to, in particular, the. Palestinian Refugee Agency discussion. I wanted to make sure we followed up on that in particular to show you some continuing develop information, continually developing information around just yet another in a long string of provable lies. I'm not even going to get into it out of the gate. I want you to be, you're just, you're not even going to be surprised about how ridiculous this is, like every other example so far, even when they're dealing with people who used to or otherwise would be blindly supporting of their narrative, the corporate media. And it's it's embarrassing what happened. It's sort of like with the Al Shifa hospital. We're going to talk about a, and, and and by the way, in the midst of the chaotic starting, I was going to say a few things that the, I put off a whole bunch today that I'm going to get into tomorrow. I, I had a multifaceted show kind of organized today in regard to obviously of multiple developments in regard to Israel and Gaza, but I put off a whole lot in regard to uh, it's interesting, like obviously some medical freedoms conversation around COVID-19, but a a bunch of other stuff that kind of overlaps with a few different points, the border conversation, biometrics, and and a a bunch of different stuff that I thought did also relate to Israel. But I I put a lot off that would have made the show impossibly too long that I'm going to get to tomorrow. I wanted to let you know that I did an important follow-up, I think, on the border conversation I wanted to get to. There's a breaking story going around today in regard to you know, uh, 
national security threats that are like opaque and we can't really tell you what kind of indicating it's a Russia connected space concept. I was going to touch on it, but we'll talk about it later. Who knows if it even ends up being something important. Um, And then some interesting things that follow up with Ukraine. And I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Oh, and a really interesting point again, that was the biometric overlap in regard to something that happened at the Super Bowl. but I, I, I'm going to follow up tomorrow and I will be doing it tomorrow and I'm going to cover those things, but I wanted to let you know that because there's, there is always so much going on and it's so, it, you have no idea how much I toil and, and it's so hard for me to decide what to talk about or what to put in. It's all important to me, you know? So it's so difficult. I just want you to see that I'm definitely considering other topics. We're going to start today with a point about Twitter social media in general, but Twitter in particular, around the Israel topic. I, this, this, You know I've been very critical of Twitter post-Elon before it, but I've been saying a lot around this topic in Israel that they've been clearly censoring, very one-sided, but that I've seen a lot both ways, but this is the one of the most clear examples I've gotten that I want to show you guys that just <laughs> the series of events that followed, I mean, it's very clear what's going on in my opinion. Now, that doesn't have to mean that it's Elon or all of Twitter or however it's net. We don't know is the point, and we shouldn't assume in any one way. The point is at some level, to some capacity, it's obvious that there being there's censorship taking place that is directly about covering narratives around what's going on in Gaza. And then, yeah, guys, I said the the UNRWA conversation I think is important. And a lot of today in the Israel conversation has to do with just an endless string of lies, but important ones, not not old stuff that we're kind of recapsulating, um, re- excuse me, but new ones in regard to delivering of canisters to hospitals and the lies about the craziest story about all this. It's not even the most important lie, but the one we'll get to around a lot of really important lies around things like UNRWA and uh, what was the other one we're going to talk about? Uh, oh, hostages again. I, we were going to talk about that, but oh, just all she, uh, Rafa in general, and how many of the, just first, how horrific that story is. It, it's sadly not unique in the, in the series of what's been going on there, but the different lies around this, but the false humanitarianism. And I mean this in a sense that's like knowingly doing so from the Israeli side, not to implicate every single Israeli or even every IDF member, but that at some level of the authority there, they decide to fake doing things like helping an old man and then off camera shooting him in the back, which is a verified story, which I mean, that is to really give you the, 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 the understanding of who at least some elements of this are that to do something like that. So that not only shows you that they know that you, that that's wrong, what they're doing, they just don't care. Or at the very least, they see that you see it as wrong to the point that where they would pretend to be that and then go do what they were going to do anyway. In this case, pretending to deliver oxygen canisters to a hospital, and we'll save the story to get to it. It's a lie, as well as a bunch of other important things. So let's start with Twitter. Your this story, it, it's it's really this tweet alone, and what the, the the conversations around it. It's so obvious to me. Looks like our stream is struggling here. Let me know if you can hear me in the chat. Just one thing after another these days, huh? So Elon tweets, which path? Western world? Of course, because as we all know, there's only ever two paths. Not to say that's ultimately what he's saying, but, you know, that's always how these things are presented. You know, it's either this or it's that, left or it's right, black or it's white, something, something. (laughs) Just everything is very binary. Except sexuality, of course, as we all know, because he's making a joke. But the point here is clearly X, Twitter, free speech, 
everything else controlled. Because we all know how simple that is, right? Uh, I mean, it's almost embarrassing that people are still really and and look, the people, you, the, the the leaders of it, the, the Alex Jones and Tucker Carlson's, really embarrassing that they're really actually still holding the line that this is about free speech, that X is saving free speech, that he's doing his best, that he's trying, blah 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 blah. It's so painfully not true. That's not to say that he's part of the World Economic Forum or, or, or you know, the Great Reset or that he's exactly the opposite of what they're saying. But it is obviously not complete free speech. I mean, can we just be honest about that? There are people being censored right now. It's not even within the realm of the freedom of reach, but not speech, but not reach game they played. It's not even that. People are being blatantly censored for ridiculous reasons that have nothing to do with in even keeping, even abiding by their own extreme policies which are if you're if you're censoring hate speech you are an extreme policy that is not free speech that is a subjective personal politicized concept not to say that it doesn't exist the point is you just can't make a line and say this everything on that side of it's okay and everything over there that's it's arbitrary everywhere you look at it we're seeing that with israel right now in the way that they throw these labels at things that have nothing to do with them but adam follows up and says this you bro and shows an image now, this is a thought experiment. Now, you've seen an, um, an endless amount of these long before this conversation, and it's very, it's useful. We saw this, I think, with the, I, I think there was one around like Black Lives Matter and like, you know, the different things like what protests were allowed at certain times. You'll always find these slanted concepts. In this case, he shows an image that says, and I, I've seen these myself, one, there's three tweets in a row. One says, an, just an American terrorist attack, period. The next one says, Hamas terrorist attack, period. No issue there. Every one of those are complete and everyone's, you know, no censorship. The last one says, an Israeli terrorist attack, period. That one gets flagged. Visibility limited. The post may violate the rules of hateful conduct. Well, that's certainly strange. Why would they be, why would that be any different than any other nationality being Israeli? Like American terrorist attack, German terrorist attack. Why is it any different? It shouldn't be. That is an obvious example of it being slanted, especially since that, even though it's limited, is censorship, and we are seeing examples of people quite literally being censored. And let me show you. Here's what's hilarious: this person has a, an icon as their in their their profile picture. Now he says, "Where are the comments?" I can only see three, which, by the way, is one of the points. There's like under this comment, there's like 62 comments. If you click on it, you only see like five of them. Apparently, according to everybody, what does that show you? There's, that's that's not free speech, okay? There's, it's not even freedom of, of reach. It's just complete censorship. Now, this guy has an, an icon, and I'm not calling for him to be censored, that's quite literally an Israeli flag with a Nazi symbol, an actual Nazi symbol, not the variation that's like the Buddha over, an actual Nazi symbol, okay? Whatever the, I forget the term for that, which is specific. Do you remember how Ye got censored for posting something that was, I mean, he played them like a fiddle if that's the way it worked out because he posted something that he knew was not a Nazi symbol to, to, to kind of troll them, I guess. But it was actually, I forget what it was called. It was a, some religion that uses like a variation of it, like on, a, on an alien ship. And by their own admission, has nothing to do with Nazism. But he posted that and said, love everybody. And he was censored. It's showing you right out of the gate that it was not about what we're being played, guys. This is a psychological operation, or he is ridiculous for making that decision and then not doing it now or any other case. I mean, I could show you these things all over the place. Why was Ye any different? Oh, because he's popular? Well, then you're applying that subjectively, are you not? 
Either way, guess what happened? You think? And I, at first, I thought this guy got censored, and I was I was mixing it up. Nope, they they literally censored the guy going. Isn't this censorship? I mean, explain this for me, guys. How is this with him saying this? You bro, and showing an image of what literally happened. Now, understand, Adam is not censored. His account is right here, but that tweet is most definitely gone. Here it is. Post is unavailable. Now, now realize, let me show you one more thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's gone. Like, if I was able to find, oh, you know what? I might be able to, let me just do this. No, sure enough, if I restart that, like I was thinking, if I just grab the link and go right to it, I wonder if it shows it. Nope, that's gone too. What I was going to say is, there's, here's another example. But like here, this guy, Dr. Sam Youssef, who's posting something, saying uh, an occupation for Israeli occupation forces executed a prisoner. I'll show you this later in the show. It, it is true. And it says post unavailable, which, by the way, is the same thing it says there, right? Difference is over here, if you actually click on the link, it's still there. And it's it, it, and all it is is a, a dead body. It's not graphic other than it's a, a person, right? Which I could probably line up 400 examples for you in 10 seconds on Twitter right now. Not censored. Then why is it censored when it's about an Israeli prisoner being shot, or rather a Palestinian prisoner being shot by Israeli forces? I'm sure you could figure that out for yourselves. Now, the point is, now it shows it, you see. But if I restart it, oh, look at that. <laughs> Guys, what do you think that is? That's not violating any rules. Well, I mean, you could argue that the the per, the dead body would. But my point again is that it's, it's not being it's selectively applied. The point me showing you this is that is suppression. That's suppressing that, acting like it's not there. When you click the link, it is. Maybe there's some way around this for me. Either way, let's be real. This is obvious and deliberate censorship because he called him out. He called out the well. I mean, that's my opinion. That the intent is my opinion, but it's not there anymore. Nothing about this, this you bro image showing censorship is gone. I didn't have time to reach out to Adam. I thought about, I was curious what, you know, what happened there. But there it is, and you can look at it for yourself and, that, and try it yourself. You'll get the same results. And here are, I mean, I could give you again so many examples. Anastasia has been really breaking this down since kind of she became aware, and as I see it, that this was not honest. He said, she says, Elon Musk keeps mass suspending accounts speaking out against Israeli war crimes. This time it was an uh, account that I don't think I was following called Anti-Zionist LG. I don't think I remember that one. Lost his account, and he had a, even had a gold badge. <laughs> think about that, which means he was paying $1,000 a month for supposed free speech on Elon Musk's platform. Think about that. And she asks, is Elon Musk any different than Mark Zuckerberg? Well, yeah, they just have a different shtick or a different psyop they're executing, right? I, that's my opinion. But how how do you make sense of that? Now, maybe there's a reason that they violated some rule. But let's be very, very clear again. If you're talking about free speech, now I know they're not claiming to be free speech platform. They're claiming to be a limited speech platform, as much as they say otherwise. Because when they're put to explaining it, they say, well, freedom of, of reach, but not for freedom of speech, not freedom of reach. You know, uh, what was it? The uh, awful, something but awful. What was the term? Uh, lawful but awful. They'll remove it. Right. I mean, that's just a, that's dumb. If you're stupid enough to go, that's free speech. Well, you don't understand the definition or you're just lying to yourself about it. 
That is limited speech. Now, I would respect them a hell of a lot more if they just were like, we believe in limited speech. I'd say, okay, I disagree, but that's what you believe and you have a right to your beliefs. And if you want to use a limited speech platform, then you go right ahead, which probably everybody probably still will. But it's so irritating that you have these large people that everybody supports who just go, yeah, free speech is all Twitter saving everything. Thank you, Elon, for saving us. That's what they do. I mean, I just saw the David Icke interview where Elon uh, or Alex Jones was going out of his way to say, ah, Twitter, T Tucker's the, he's real and I know it. And so are these guys are real. You don't know, man. You don't know these people are real. Your opinion is that they are real. And I think that's all. I, you know my opinions of why. But Gentle News Network writes, uh, I think it's, I forget how to say it. If it's Gad, Gad, Gad Saad, Saeed, Saad. I've never actually said his name out loud, but, but you guys know who I'm talking about. The uh, G-A-D-S-A-A-D, pretty prominent account. Apparently, and it's real, this, he's the one that asked Elon Musk to shut this account down. Three hours after he posts this, it's gone. He writes, they're on to us, Elon. Shut it down. What does that mean? Elon says, I have actual Mossad merch, by the way, but the CIA has some really great merch. Now, the point was, this was something saying about, you know, that they're working with Mossad or whatever. So what's weird, though, is that they make a joke about it. And then three hours later, it's gone. <sighs> right? Sure wasn't a joke if you're going to censor them for saying something that you engage with as a joke. Isn't that censorship? Yeah like literal, blatant, verbatim, personal censorship. And then don't let's, and then Steering Girl points out something very interesting. I didn't know this. Here he is on, uh, uh, you know, Epoch Times, admitting that he works, worked with, works for Mossad. Shouldn't be that surprising. I kind of could ask to go to and being the person who does some of these tests for us. I said, okay, tell me more. So the first uh, mission that I went on was I, I was asked to. So I meet this gentleman. He says, who said, hey, you know, I, I have a right. well. So when I was about 18 years old, I had a cousin who uh, had come from uh, Israel who said, hey, you know, I, I have a friend of mine who would like to meet you uh, to chat with you. I'm thinking, what, for what purpose? So, oh, you know, he'll talk to you. So I meet this gentleman. He says, oh, there are some guys who would... Uh, like to meet you and see if you're interested in working with them. And so I meet these gentlemen who don't introduce themselves as. Does that sound normal to you? What kind of person goes through two separate meetings set up by people and you don't even know what the meeting is about? <laughs> I mean, does that sound normal to you? And I'm not, I'm not saying he knew at this point or, or even is what you think. He, I mean, if, question everything. Don't assume he is what you think he is because he had a meeting with Assad. I find that hard not to ignore, right? See, there's, they're, as they would say themselves, if you have people in these circles, there is no former in these groups. There's no former CIA or former Mossad. That's not how it works. Either way, does that seem strange to you? Like just in a, in a totally separate idea, it doesn't even matter what it's about. Somebody comes up, hey, I got a buddy who wants to talk to you. <laughs> would you go, okay. <laughs> I'd be like, what is it regarding? <laughs> what, do you, what do you want to meet about, man? Who is he? But okay, let's just say you're interested. So you go one step and then you go to the next meeting and the guy goes, yeah, my, my friend sent you. Okay, but I've got a buddy here who wants to talk to you after me. Okay. <laughs> I would be like, that seems pretty strange. What is this about? <laughs> but that's at least that's not how he told the story. But maybe he's leaving it out. I just thought it was a total, just a kind of a humor side note. That's very strange. 
are some guys who would uh, like to meet you and see if you're interested in working with them. And so I meet these gentlmen who don't introduce themselves as being Mossad agents or whatever. They say, oh, you know, we're, we're interested in checking the, uh, the, uh, the quality of our security at, in various environments. Would you be interested in being the person who does some of these tests for us? I said, okay, tell me more. So the first uh, mission that I went on mm. was I was asked to go to an El Al um, office in downtown Montreal, walk in there. Everything was scripted. They told me exactly what to do. Walk in with a bag, ask some questions, then take the bag, leave it there, and end up leaving without taking the bag. Did you actually my God. Yeah. And so you're just a bag man. I mean, think about how wild that is. So you don't know what you dropped off. Was it a bomb? Like, let's not pretend like because it's Mossad or CIA that you're the virtuous good guy. Are we in kindergarten? I mean, wow. I have to be honest. Like, that's a pretty crazy thing to just publicly discuss. Like, it's no big deal. I, I mean, I wonder whether that's even like, is Mossad going to be mad at him for divulging? That doesn't sound like something you just talk about publicly, regardless. The kind of person that would mindlessly just be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not even trying to like say he's not intelligent or any of that. Just anybody who is, for whatever series of circumstances in their life, have come to the point where they think the government is on your side or whatever. And they would just go along because they go, do it for your country. <laughs> like, man, like people, I just don't know how anybody is not... I mean, even with the movies we're shown growing up, like why you would go along something like that. Just so he dropped a bag off. Now, the, overall, I, I can go on forever how strange that is and how kind of shocking it is to just admit that you just dropped off a bag for Mossad, but that that means that he worked for Mossad. Now, that doesn't have to mean that he is now and always has or whatever. But, you know, that's a pretty interesting thing. And the point would be that most of these people would tell you that you know, once you're, you cross that line, it's sort of like, interestingly enough, the mafia which is sort of like the whole point when you get into the, the, the work, you know, Whitney's research around the, you know, you begin to realize that's what this ultimately is. This is a mafioso-like, and that's what our governments act like. The, what's the real difference? The terms, that's it. What's the real difference? You, you, you can, when we realize, especially now, looking at what Israel does, or, you know, as Americans become more and more aware of the dark nature of everything their government's doing around the world under the guise of freedom, What's the real difference? They do the same things. They act in the same ways. They even fund the very people that they go on to fight under a guise of fighting terrorism. So they are, what's, what makes it worse? Being the terrorist, the person that's funding those people into reality. Like you're the kingpin, right? You are the big bad guy of bad guys. My point is that it's, it's, you call them military versus terrorists. It's the same difference, guys. I just wish we could, you know, the people that are shocked by that statement, I just wish we could grow up a little bit and realize that that is ultimately what we're talking about. It's just about it's there, you know. It's really almost getting to the, the like philosophical conversation of what what is good, and what is bad. It's all just actions and people doing what they want and deciding on what you're acting for and what you rationalize. I mean, obviously, I would argue there's an objective good and bad, but my point is everybody has perspectives and lines are drawn everywhere they want them to be. We just have to be honest about these things and stop pretending, you know, kindergarten mindsets that they're the good guys fighting for freedom and therefore whatever evil thing they do is okay. You know, that's kind of where that breaks down to. So knowing that this guy was working at one point with Mossad, I find it very telling. Looking back at his actions and how people have been censored. And, you know, as he says, they're on to us, Elon. Shut it down. Well, you know, that's probably what it's about, him working with Mossad. Now, here is an ex-Mossad agent speaking about what his job was in regard to labeling Americans who speak against Israeli actions as anti-Semites. 
you know, the whole the thing that they right now would say is anti-Semitic. In Canada, in Edmonton, Alberta. Apologize for the quality. It's an older clip. I grew up in Israel because my mother was born in Jerusalem. And my father was born in Canada. And he came to Israel to fight in 48. And I was born in 49. He really fought hard. <laughs> but the thing is, I grew up in Israel. When I was in Israel, uh, my children went to school in Israel. They were Israelis. One daughter was born in Canada. Uh, just to give you a background on myself, I, I served in the Israeli army for three years. Uh, then, uh, after that, I left Israel for a while. I came back. I rejoined the, the Navy. I finished in the rank of uh, lieutenant commander in the Israeli Navy. I was then recruited to the Mossad. I reached the rank, rank of colonel in the Mossad, and that's when I left. The Mossad has uh, a slogan, which is the anthem of the Mossad, if you want to call it. It's, called, it's a biblical term. It says, by way of deception, thou shalt do war. And by the way, it, we, this has been brought up so many times. It gets roundly disregarded as if it's some kind of conspiracy trope. It, it, it's, it's, like, it's like disregarding the you know, Israeli secret intelligence service and all these different very obvious on-the-surface points, which kind of does go, when you look back, it stand points to that maybe they aren't as good at this as we used to think they were. <laughs> you know, obviously these things are today. Maybe they're just really good at, you know, blackmailing people in power to cover things up in a really aggressive way. But I, it's it's that's the truth. So if your very motto is, but, you know, but, uh, what was it? Through deception, thou shalt do, uh, do war. Well, what are we talking about? Their very motto is to deceive you during wartime or in general through war. That's what's happening. And that's what's on the logo of the Mossad, which, by the way, the only place it's ever been seen is in, in, on the Internet on my homepage. See? Yes, is Judaism a race, a common history, a religion, a culture? Judaism is, I'll tell you, Judaism is, first of all, a religion. Not first of all, it is a religion. And that's the problem with all of this. It's a religion, period. Zionism is what created the state of Israel, utilizing the religion of Judaism and then conflating that with who they are. And we've gone over this. Plenty of organizations of Jewish people around the world are screaming at you, trying to get your attention to say Zionism is not Judaism and they've hijacked our religion. They do not. It's, it's all over the place if you just pay attention. But the, the, the moment you conflate these things is where it becomes the idea that if you then attack, and this is very well thought through. If you go, hey, these really government's killing people. They go, you hate Jews. It's like, whoa, where does that even come into play? But when they argue that that's the state of the Jews. And therefore, if you accuse them of doing bad things, you're accusing Jews of doing bad things. Well, hold on. Okay, then at what point do I get to say I disagree with their Israeli policy? You don't, you see, makes you an anti-Semite. And there's plenty of people speaking up about how this ploy has been used. Even then, people are trying to tell you. Then it becomes a nation. As far as race, there's a problem with that. I'll tell you why. Because most of the non-Sparadic Jews are descendants of a nation called the Khuzari or the Khazarian. Now, a lot there of these things no end up getting disregarded as fake news and conspiracy and blood libel. And ask yourself how many of these things that you know and can prove are called. And but for that exact point, by the way, we've got one we'll talk about today. There's one of these allegations about the uh, oxygen tanks or that that allegation about them being fake. Of course, Elon Levy steps up and says, how dare you? 
blood libel. It's, 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 it's poisoning the wells all over again, which is this classic concept of how the Jews poison the wells, and it's a conspiracy theory, and it's, a, it's because you're anti-Semitic, and except even Haaretz did a story about how it was a real story, and we don't like to talk about that, so we'll get to that in a minute. Haaretz covers it. Here's the historical reality of this discussion. Here's 14 more examples of it happening since then, but you know, it's all fake news because how dare you, you're racist. That, that's how this tends to work. Now, consider these things without blindly accepting them or with dismissing them out of hand. That's how anything should be regarded, engaged with anything. No matter how crazy or how outside the norm, consider it. Give it due diligence. If you can't figure it out, leave it alone. If you can prove it, can sit, go forward. You know, that, that's how it needs to be. It doesn't matter. Someone could come up and tell you that, you know, the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your life. Most, most human beings have a tendency to reflexively dismiss something they've been trained to think is crazy. I just don't know why that's ever been thought as logical. No such thing as dual loyalty. This is a myth. People say, well, you know, the Jewish community has a dual loyalty. That's wrong. Either you're loyal to your country or you're not. There is no. And I would I could even add to that, though, that you I mean, you could still I, I would argue you could be loyal to multiple countries. The point is it comes down to a, a, a line of when those may contradict each other. And then which argument, and it doesn't matter which way you take it. The point is at some point you'll end up choosing one over the other. It's inevitable, especially when things are, are more, con more, you know, contentious. I mean, again, that's just basic logic. You can make about it any other two countries, but the moment it becomes about Israel, you're racist. That's it's, it's the cover for everything going on for, I mean, think about how well that works for any other, doesn't matter what country you're from. If you could effectively hide all of your crimes behind allegations of you actually just hate who I am, well, it's it's it works very well. But it not today, they've successfully exploded that narrative, and people aren't buying it anymore. Duality in that. You cannot be loyal to two countries. Never will Israel agree to have an Israeli support the U.S. the way they expect people in the Jewish community to support Israel. There are more people in Israeli jails for supporting or helping U.S. intelligence than you have Israelis in American jails. Because any time there was a guy that was sat, sat 15 years in Israeli prison, and nobody knew about him. He was a major in the Air Force, and he was arrested because he met with a secretary from the, from the American embassy and allegedly was intending to help the CIA. Let's not forget how many examples we have of stuff like this. I mean, even during Trump's administration, they got caught putting listening devices in the White House. It happens all the time, and it continues to demonstrate that at some level, they have influence. And I mean, that's an obvious statement. I mean, like, to, to a very severe degree, to where they can just be like, well, you're not going to do anything about that, otherwise X, Y, and Z. We could talk about the Epstein sexual blackmail network, which, you know, it's so funny. Even that statement itself still gets kind of like derided as conspiracy theory, even though every single element of it has been even proven and even covered during corporate media or on corporate media. Not to say that that makes it real, but obviously it was a it was a story that couldn't be dismissed when it literally ties back to CIA Mossad. Acosta himself made that point. You know, you know it's, it's obvious that something is there. We're watching it right now. Why would Joe Biden or any other president at this point continue to support something that is like hemorrhaging their support every moment when every single I shouldn't say every single the vast majority of every country? Clearly, the peoples are pushing back against this. And one by one, countries are beginning to fall, too.
in, in, in fall in line in regard to supporting the reality that this is a genocide. One by one. And yet they keep doing it. CIA. Nobody said he did. He intended. And 15 years later, they said that he's in jail. He was incommunicado. Nobody knew where he was. He disappeared. I had my second book. I, I had a record with my second book. I think my first book sold something around the world, close to 8 million copies. My second book was not reviewed in any newspaper in North America. Now, that's a record. <laughs> None. I, no, I'm sorry. I think the guy in the, in the Phoenix Gazette and the people from B'nai B'rith walked in and asked for him to resign. Now, here, here's the point I was making the other day. When they, when, when, you know, again, they, in a general sense, whoever we're talking about, you know, the, the authority figures, the, the social media managers, right, the, or rather social engineers trying to manipulate the, our understanding. The point is that when, if, if some level of authority does not want you to see something, there's very clear ways that they just, like, box it out, like, so it doesn't even exist. Links don't go anywhere. You can't find, you don't, if you're searching for things, it doesn't come up in the search results. Like, you can completely make something near non-existent unless you know exactly where to go. But when they, the, the thing like with Tucker Carlson and Putin, and, and Putin when, some, when, when they want you to look at something, it's very simple. They go, don't look at that. And then literally everybody looks at it because, well, why not? What is it? Let's see how bad it is. Let's see how much we love it. Everybody for the same or different reasons goes and follow. Well, now 200 million views. Well, half of them didn't hate him. Half of them, the other half of them don't care. You know, the point is it doesn't even, and, and I think it's obviously about driving people, different topic. Now, people, I, I'm not going to end up really going into any of those things in the show. I don't find it to be important in regard to the larger thing. I've, I've talked about them in probably six different shows already, if you haven't seen them. You know, with Richie Allen or on uh, The Final Countdown or Am Wake Up, we've talked about these around the side, but I'm not going to get into the show because it would take another hour for me to break it all down. But I think that the, the point being is that like this, they didn't want you to see what he was saying. So just, just pull the air out of the room. That's not there. Not like that's bad. Don't look at it. Just completely step around it. Yeah, because he's an anti-Semite. Now, I know what they do because I used to ask them to do it. I mean, when I was in the Mossad and we had a guy that gave us problems in the U.S. and he was speaking out and he was talking like, like Pete talked once and said, Israel is bombing Lebanon with cluster bombs. We said, yep. hey, who's that guy? You know? See, and remember, that used to be unprecedented. Now we just go, well, they used him first, so we're okay because we're the good guys. No, so you're exactly the same then, which is the point. Cluster bombs, white phosphorus, biological weapons, chemical weapons. I mean, it just doesn't matter. They get away with literally everything. And I mean, both the United States, their allies, the Israel. I mean, it's the same damn thing constantly. They just gave, they gave Ukraine cluster bombs. Like, that's not like it's okay because you did it. I mean, they've really pulled the mask off, and I think almost inadvertently, like out of desperation and need, really kind of exposed that they, at the very least, that we can do it because we're the good guy. At one point, you acted like we're better because we don't do those bad things and you hid it from everybody. Now it's become, well, we do them, but it's okay. Sort of like Nixon, right? But I, if the president does it, it's not illegal. Oh, that didn't work out well for you, did it? Same thing. Peak Makaki, we used to call it. Yeah, which is Pete the Cockroach. Because he makes a lot of noise and you can't get rid of him. So what you do is you get in touch with a guy in, in, the, in the station in New York or in the station in Washington. You say, tell the guys at B'nai B'rith to label him.
And of course, the campaign starts, and before you know it, the guy's leaving. And that's how this works. It was much easier back then, right? It was like brand is a scarlet scarlet letter. All of a sudden, you're the anti-Semite. I mean, we saw that in a way with Corbyn and other people. It was still really kind of working at that time where you could feel like blacklisted out of high society or whatever you want to call it. Well, it's not really working the same anymore. Not even people in those positions. They've really lost that momentum, which thank God, because you can see how it's been dishonestly used, which in its own right actually makes it more insecure for people in those positions that they pretend they're protecting with all of this. In essence, the Jews, but plenty of other people that are kind of along with the agenda, but specifically the the protected group that they claim this all is there to protect is made exponentially more insecure because of the way that they're really it amounts to them using the Jewish community as some kind of blockade against whoever might come after the Zionists. That's what this really amounts to. And that's what a lot of Jewish communities are speaking out about today. And he's an anti-Semite. Because that's what we say he is. And that's one stain you cannot wash. Now here is another post. Joe Biden is a war criminal. Free Palestine is the account. Says, not sure how showing bombs dropping in the distance in Rafa is gratuitous gore. So here's another example of Twitter censoring, removing the tweet in general as gratuitous gore. What what was it? Background images of bombs dropping on Rafa. Now explain that for me. I think it's obvious. I think there's, I mean, especially with everything we've already saw, there is an effort being uh, the same point, but we're seeing it through Twitter, through Elon, through all the you know, Tucker on X and all the people supporting this platform are being pressured to censor things. Now, where do you think that's coming from? The same exact entity we're talking about, that whatever we're talking, whether we're talking about political organizations, lobbyists, we're talking about Zionist political organizations that are trying to censor the reality of what they're doing to people in Gaza. That's how I would perceive this. However, that's my opinion. However, you look at this, Twitter is censoring things that are. I mean, there's a, you, right now how how much you want to go take this example, parallel it with a thousand. I mean, that's not even probably accurate. Endless examples of bombs dropping in the background in Ukraine, bombs dropping in the background on Gaza, bombs dropping in the background anywhere else in the world. No big deal. But if the bombs are suggestive, even slightly, that Israel's doing a bad thing, well, make sure you censor that as gore. But go ahead and show the dead Palestinian children, or rather the example, the, what was the example I was thinking of? I just saw, you know, where, even that though, you find examples of that too. The point though is that there's all sorts of examples of, gore and this is what gets censored i find that impossible to ignore and here's luke radowski facebook and mark zuckerberg are controlled by the feds right showing this image of you know the free speech platforms look at look at youtube knocking it out of the park apparently 13 million for tucker and putin 200 million for x 0.1 million for facebook which I mean, I don't. I almost find that hard to believe. But let's realize first of all that Facebook is a. It's not as popular as we pretend it is. They're they're doing Meta and all those other things. But like the social media platform, does anybody even use? I don't even touch that platform anymore. But I know people do. But it's just it's it's very clearly the one that's kind of been edging away. Either either way, my point was. I mean, what are you even saying here? Right, maybe I'm misinterpreting the overall point. But to to state this. The obvious implication is that, well, Twitter is not. And that clearly YouTube is at least on the side of the the good in this analogy or whatever you want to call it, right? Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, 
feds because they got point one. But then here's YouTube with 13 million. Well, okay, what, what do you, how do you take that? I said, so yeah, YouTube is the good guy. You know, as well as I, that they are all compromised. I said, you know this, Luke, including, and most importantly, Twitter. And using this interview, of all things, to gauge that is about like using a White House press briefing to gauge the truth, quite frankly. So I don't know why people find it so necessary to kind of, you know, give their offering to the Twitter gods and be like, please, you know, ice, you're the best, you're the best. Don't censor me. Like, I just, I'm, it's just sad. I want the Luke Radowski from 10 years ago on the streets. That's what I want. I miss that. Now, let's talk about UNRWA and another example of a blatant and embarrassing lie that has exploded in the face of the Zionist agenda. Well, I mean, it, it is and has, but what's hilarious about the way these things go is they step up and they go, you know, just scream the opposite. Well, you know, it's kind of like what the U.S. does every single day. But, you know, that this will be embarrassing, like with Al-Shifa and even BBC will be like, yeah, you're, you're lying. We can see it. You've, you clearly moved these guns around. I don't know. I don't know. And then the narrative like a month later is like, we exposed it and we can tell and everybody in the world knows and because that was the command center X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, hold on. You completely got caught. Nobody bought that, but you just continue stating it. Well, that's the whole lie told and whatever the phrasing is, you know, the whole Nazi propaganda concept, right? A lie repeated becomes the truth. Well, and especially when you're blindly following corporate media, lackeys continue to do the same thing. Because the Al-Shifa Command Center and blah, blah, blah. Well, it's the same damn thing they're trying to do here. Now here, this is a Israeli influencer. We'll start with this. At the Knesset, basically laying out exactly for you. I'm, I, actually, I forget that it's in um, it's, it's translation, so I'll just give you the gist of it. But you can, you can read. This is her speaking very, pro, you know, I don't want to say aggressively, but very stern. You know, like saying that the... That, UNRWA must go away, which, by the way, is a that's what everybody long before the the allegations that have completely been debunked continue to be stated. They were saying this. There's a plan to get rid of them. So it clearly shows this was organized. She says Palestinian refugee claims are false, which I, I mean, this is this is we're now getting back into the territory of their old terrorists. Palestine never existed. I don't exactly know how you think you can get away with the argument that they're false. So you're telling me that nobody was ever displaced? I mean, that's not even Israel's narrative. 1948, they displaced all these people. You can call them terrorists if you want, if that makes you feel better about your lie. But you moved all these people from where they were. Now, the whole point of the right of return and the 1967 borders agreement and all this stuff was the ability to go back to their homes. Now, that's not even actually accurate because 67 was only in the, there was a lot other places, which was all the rest of Israel that was occupied. Nonetheless, the point is that there was uh, UNRWA is the organization, this is why they hate it so much, that has kept track of all of that, has kept track of all the refugees and where they're supposed to go. And this is why you get the, the you utilizing the ignorance of the average person, the Eli Davids of the world will come out and say, why are they all still refugees? What's going on here? How has it been so long? Well, they've never gone back to their homes, bud, because that's what a refugee is when they've been displaced from their home. And the point is they're waiting for the legally required right of return. So when they step up and go, why are they still refugees? They know. They're not stupid. They know that the the reality behind it all is that they're supposed to give them back their places. That's never going to happen as they keep inching into the other places. They keep, we'll, we'll end with that today, as they keep displacing people in the West Bank or other illegal settlements they've taken, which is all illegal under everyone's mindset, the United States, the UN, everybody. They just keep doing it. 
So that right there creates even more. So it's obvious they've manufactured this. But if you to say that it's false is just disregarding even your own understanding of history. But what it shows you, you don't care. We're recreating our reality. We don't want them here, and we'll just create up a flimsy argument to make make the. And we know a lot of people blindly support it anyway. Then she says they have no right of return, which is interesting because. In a way, you're arguing that there is a thing such as rise return. So if you're saying their claims are false, what do you mean? So you're saying they have no right of return, but there is a right of return? It's just like, you can see even with their language that they're very aware of the, the legal reality. They just don't care. And she says, erase unre-refugee records. Ah, okay, so that's the ultimate point. So there are records, and they do exist. You don't want them to be there. So yes, they are refugees, and yes, they do have a legal claim to the territory you illegally occupied and still are. You just want to get rid of the one place that has that record so we can pretend it never existed. 30 seconds after this happens, if it does, they will change the narrative to they never did that, and you have no proof it never existed. And within a year, if they have enough control, it will become no Palestine ever existed. They were all terrorists. There's the record for you, just like they've been doing this entire time. And as, as this person rightly points out, Lens uh, Veritas, Ver, Veritatis, this is not extremist. In fact, it's a mainstream reality in Gaza, or excuse me, in Israel, which un unfortunately is the reality because of the overwhelming influence of the Zionist agenda. Now, Robert wrote an excellent article. Israel claims, oh wait, no, excuse me. Oh, it, it's this, this is what I was thinking. How do I get to... Oh, I'm sorry. I just got mixed up on how I organized this. So we're we're talking about UNRWA. We'll come to this in a minute. This is about the Super Bowl Rafa massacre, Robert's article. This was my show from day before yesterday. Or excuse me, the 11th. Israel claims Hamas tunnel found under UNRWA headquarters. More Israeli lies. And the reason I framed it like that is because there's been a, an endless amount of provable lies roundly seen by the world, even in even media that used to support them or genuine evidence. I think it's been proven roundly to be a manufactured event, just like everyone they've done so far. And I was going to just image in general. I was thought was so interesting. So they're showing what is supposedly the headquarters, <laughs> and there's bombed out sides of this. Like, so you're telling me that you set all of this up? You dug so that shows you that they were bombing this before they went in here to dig, which means that you were. Like it, it just shows you like to Ritter's point that they don't fully know what they're, they're bombing these things to bomb these things, which by the way, the nine suit nine, seven, two magazine article using citing six different IDF former and current members admitted that, that they're bombing just to bomb them. They're bombing to hurt people. They're bombing to get them out of the way. It's, it's overwhelming. And I'll read you that when we get to the article. The point on this was to discuss how clearly this has been shown to be false. Now we already shown you a couple of these Arnaud van Dern Dorn. Again, who I'm not very not familiar with, but I, this was the first person I saw this from. The Hamas tunnel under the honor building in Gaza debunks. Now, the point was they were showing you that these were, in fact, uh, boxes that were used for their servers. And the, the, the really the main point to me that stood out was that when you will look at what they're showing you, that it's very clear. And even I think was it corporate media. I think there was one corporate platform that even pointed this out. But again, just so you hear me on that for people new, that's in no way meant to suggest that that proves anything more. Frankly, I don't, we should, my point in showing you that is, is only the meaning there is that that means that it's so obvious that they were forced to feel like they had to admit it. Just so you know where my mind's coming from when I say something like that. I don't trust corporate media at all. Nobody should. And really, nobody should trust any media. Question everything. Consider all possibilities. But the point was that, that you could see in these videos that there's an obvious cut when you look at the full video 
And the cut is between the image that shows you. I don't think the image is right here. I thought I had the full video too. But the point was that shows you that there is a wall set up and the ceiling set up with the the vents and the same ceiling that comes like immediately after seeing the dirt on the, like the water and like, so you're in the tunnel, right? Going in that tunnel. And then all of a sudden it glitches over and you can see the, the point is you're inside the building, which is by the way, what's been found is that these were videos taken from inside the headquarters that were spliced with. So these are inside the headquarters. You can even see the ground. The ground is linoleum. Right when they walked in, it was dirt and water and a and a stone tunnel, and then it cuts to room like this. And they're going, "Here's a server farm underneath all of this." Okay, well that's where it was left. The point was, well that's clearly not the tunnel. Now it's gone even further. Oh, and and people have shown further that these what these are used for, where they're from. It's obvious that these are inside the building in Unra. Now it's a certain it's possible that there are more of those down below, which really wouldn't make much sense, but it continues to be debunked. That's what I showed you before. Even Craig Murray called this out after the day after we did our show. The Hamas tunnel under UNRWA, proclaimed by entire Western mainstream media, as usual, blindly following the narrative, is a cell is a cell cellular with solar panel inverters underground to be kept cool. This is why it is linked to UNRWA with cables coming up through the floor. It's a power source. These green boxes clearly visible in the IDF video. Now, that's his take on seeing that. What it appears to me is that these things were ultimately not all the way underneath the building, but similarly, simply in the lower levels of the building itself. The tunnel is a separate location. I'll show you what I mean. But this is just Craig responding to the image of what these are and arguing that that's what they're used for. But you could simply take that and go, well, Hamas was using them. Sure, that's what they'll do, or ultimately what they are doing. But I agree with his point, though. And he says, I am explaining that this is not a Hamas tunnel, which I agree with him. But let me take this further. The Prol Star writes that more Israeli fairy tales. This reportedly just shows an underground cool room for solar panel inverter equipment. Also a server box for the under headquarters. The green box is a Pro Star. Same point. You know, it seems like everybody's calling these out. It become oh, oh, perfect. And here's the video that I was going to show. As you can see, there is this weird the little tunnel opening, which again, I point out, they had to dig this all down. There's no entrance to this thing, which has become provable now based on their engagement with corporate media, which just wait for it. It's the best part. It's embarrassing, like most of what they do. But so what I said when I first saw this was like, okay, well, how do you expect Philippe Lazzarini to be able to know this was underneath the ground right there? Which, by the way, don't forget, is not under the building. That is barely at the corner of the courtyard of the building. And even then, the question is, is that even what they claim it is? Or even, even what they show you is in there in video, is it even actually what's in there? And I'll show you what I mean. But the point was, they show you this. They show you walking in. Here's the look at the tunnel. It's all stone archway, just like the other tunnels that we have actually seen. Some built by Israel, arguably some by Hamas, which I'm not disputing. I just don't know how to discern the difference. It seems like possibly that they were all just built by Israel and they're used by Hamas. I, I can't, there's a line there that I can't really see Israel was built, like even the headquarters I made the point of during the show, they took over the location in the 90s and all like decades up until then that had been controlled by Israel. And there's all sorts of discussions about how they did build these kind of things under the uh, Al-Shifa hospital and plenty of others. And it's provable. Even, even uh, former Pre uh, Prime Minister Barack admitted it. So, tunnel, tunnel. Now you can, right there, there's linoleum right there. Now here, that was a cut. 
which is weird. So it cuts. So right now, you're walking on dirt and water in a tunnel. And you get this really quick scene of a box, which I argue is not where they are. Linoleum, linoleum, excuse me, or whatever that is on the ground, tile. And then cut. (laughs) And then you're back on dirt and water. Now explain that for me first. Now you're walking through here. It's all dirty. It clearly to me looks like it's not being used. Then boom. (laughs) So stone, 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 water everywhere. And then, oh, we're in a clean, white, like, flimsy. Like, you tell me how these walls that are, like, what is that? Sheetrock is not completely broken up by the water on the ground. The point is, this is not in what they were showing you. It cut into the building, which you could argue is still on the lower level of the building, so it's further down towards underground, so it's cooling for these things. It's not in this tunnel, as far as I could tell. And I'll show you why I'm fearing very adamant, and that's all you get. You see those, which are, by the way, also in the same room, and then cut outside. And other cuts it here, but they're like, well, they cut the cables because they knew. But then here are other cables that are still connected, and that proves the other point we make. <laughs> it's like it's just they'll just take anything in front of them and just make an argument about it. Here's a Hamas calendar, and here's a Hamas bike and a Hamas lamp. Okay, so here is an important thread. And I just said I put this out actually on the 12th, saying from the 11th show to add to the coverage of yet another false narrative being presented by the Israeli government. Here is Michael Cobbs saying, in an elaborate campaign, the IDF presented its evidence that a Hamas data center was found just beneath the UNRWA headquarters. They released a series of videos, and the Israeli foreign minister wished good luck refuting this unbeatable evidence. That was his point. Good, you know, uh, that wasn't the one right here. Yeah, right here. Good luck disproving this. They did do it every time. And they, they said that on one of the ones that was the like super cut like multiple times. And that was the one even, I think that was the Al-Shifa one where they were like, yeah, good. Now, now what do you got to say? And we're like, well, this, <laughs> all these things that are that completely shown to be false. But it says after the under headquarters has been besieged for weeks, this new discovery is indeed somewhat surprising, especially since plenty of time has passed to prepare everything thoroughly. Well, that's one of the things that happened before too. There's like a week pause where they're doing things. Well, what are they doing? You tell me it took a week to be able to point this out? Well, they were setting things up, and I think that's very clear. Finally, the IDF organized a tour for selected journalists, and this is where it gets hilarious. Now, what they were presented with, now again, this is after, so the 11th, they they screamed about it. Twitter and all the same people told us it was exactly what we were saying didn't happen. Then they go, okay, select media, who we know usually tow our lines, we were we invite. Just like he did every other example, and and it didn't work for them. At Al-Shifa, BBC was there, and they were like, well, hold on. <laughs> that doesn't really make sense, and they just they never followed up with that. But it says the IDF had drilled this, oh, they, they, what they were presented with. <laughs> Get this. In this courtyard, when corporate media showed up to show them what we were looking at on video, they what they showed them, what they presented them with, was a hole that they drilled to prove, they would claim, that Hamas data center was located just below the headquarters. Drilled. So, so it was there was no entrance or exit through which one could have entered the tunnel. They just have a hole. They drilled down to the ground. Okay, so first of all, just like we proved with Al-Shifa and even the Washington Post covered, which I'll come to in a second, that there was no rooms connected, that they did not have a connection to the hospitals. So they lied, provably. There was no entrance or exit through which one could have entered. And it says the... Oops. From which the combat engineers dug down into it. So they dug a hole on the ground. Now, if there was an entrance, they could have just walked them up to the entrance. Now, remember the last one we showed you where they were like, no, 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 you could trip. 
Can I take a picture? No, 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 because because you might break something or you know, just like no real reason. You can't take pictures. You can't go look. We'll tell you what you're supposed to see. That's what's happening. So look at this, guys. This is what they got. So journalists came to where there's right around them. It's supposed to be a, the best evidence they've ever seen to prove the whole narrative. And they go, no, no, you can't go look at it. Come to this computer setup. You can look at the screen and we'll show you what is down there. This actually happened. They were also not allowed to enter the data center through this pole they dug in the ground, apparently. Instead, the journalists were shown a video and allowed to film the screen of this Solo Pro minicam with their mobile phones. That's real. Now, of course, it says everything had to be submitted to and approved by the Israeli military before they could publish anything, which is, you know, journalism, right? Make sure they get to check. Make sure you, that, is that journalism? Where in the world are, are governments checking off on what you're allowed to say? Where is that ever considered journalism? Oh, I forgot in the Western world. But it says allegedly a drone was lowered into the drilled hole. In fact, the Solo Pro Mini Reel is a sanitary camera on a cable. So the camera wasn't guided through the data center by a drone, but by hand of a soldier. Likely, the unsuspecting journalists on the genocide PR tour were shown a video, this is opinion, but think about it, that had been recorded before. And this video on a small reflective screen probably did not contain the crucial transition from the drilled hole to the data center, nor did any of the videos released by Israel. These videos cut from the battery room directly to the interior view of the pipe without transition. And that's what we keep saying. That is not the same area. And he says, of course, you also have to wonder how a several meters long steel pipe keeps its own weight floating in the air without touching the ground so that a soldier can go somewhere from inside the pipe with the toilet camera. However, it should be noted that so far there is no evidence that the hole drilled by the IDF leads anywhere except into the depths and that the journalists were apparently only shown a prepared video. Now, that's what you should consider. Right? How hard would it be for them to go, here is what you're looking at. They've, guys, just so it's, it's people that, they wouldn't do that. They've been literally caught doing that already. They've been caught lying about entire, the, the, the whole story. They've been caught about 15 babies on clotheslines. They've been caught lying about 40 beheaded babies. They've been caught lying about babies in ovens, babies coming out of the mouth. They really have a whole thing about babies they keep lying about, which is pretty disgusting. So why couldn't they just go, here's an image of something we want you to think is down there. Now he finishes, uh, says, from this video screening, the PR tour drove the journalist 350 meters north. There, the IDF had excavated a tremendous crater about 20 meters deep, the bottom of which the entrance of a tunnel was found. Now, just make sure you understand what that was just said. Okay. So here they are, right next to the headquarters. This building right here, where they uh, they claim they drilled a hole through the ground. So it proves to you that there is no way you could access that from the building. That's pretty stupid. So obviously this was not, you can't pretend this was some, oh, you know, this whole UNRWA is Hamas and he's been supplying. That's what the Eli Davids and Eli Levies out there are blindly saying. I mean, you know, there's such a thing as libel, like, or uh, they should be held legally accountable for openly claiming these people are working with terrorist organizations when there is nothing that actually proves that. But uh, where were we here? The point is they dug this hole right by the building, right? Now, what, he's, what the point was, they then took them away from that, 
drove them 350 meters north. There, the IDF had excavated this, this crater, which is the tunnel they keep showing you. So quite a bit away, away from what we're talking about. Now, it says, according to the IDF map, this entrance is located in the northern corner of the schoolyard of the UNRWA Alrima School. Quite a bit different than right underneath the headquarters, right? I mean, even if you want to pretend that that was, like, that's a lie. Why would they come out and be, like, directly under the headquarters and then, oh, excuse me, it was way the way over there at the corner of that schoolyard? And even then, we don't even know for sure what exactly this is. They already tried to use an elevator to claim it was the Al-Shifa tunnel. Everybody caught them for that. The satellite image generously outlines the entire neighborhood as the school, right? That's They, they pretend. They, they frame it in a way using these fake graphics to make it look like something that it's not. It says Google Earth refers to the special school complex as Al-Zaitun Preparatory School for Boys School. The Al-Rimal School is adjacent to the northeast of it. The crater is also not on the school grounds. Surprise, surprise. But on a traffic island northwest of it. Which probably speaks to the fact that it has nothing to do with any of this and is probably some underground access, access tunnel. While the tunnel runs almost parallel to the school, the camera in the photo is looking in the direction of the UNRWA compound and is obvious that the tunnel does not run in that direction. This is basic stuff, and you could look at it for yourself, guys. Look at it, and I, I, I want you, I challenge you to do that. How the IDF knew that there was a tunnel 20 meters below a traffic island is a moot point. Again, how much you want to bet these are just access tunnels. Why then had why they had to dig an immense crater in weeks of preparation for the PR tour is just as much a mystery. Crucially, the tunnel does not lead towards the school and does not and not towards the UNRWA headquarters. Nor is there a straight line between the drilled hole and the traffic island that leads under the headquarters. In this context, it is interesting to listen to the exact wording of the German ARD platform where it says, on the way to Gaza City, we see the extent of the destruction. We must submit the footage at this post to the Israeli military censor before publication. I can't believe that's publicly stated. The army wants to show us a Hamas tunnel under the headquarters of the UN Refugee Agency in, Ga in Gaza City to prove that the tunnel is underneath the army dug this shaft. About 350 meters as the crow flies beneath the UNRWA school, we enter the tunnel. I mean, it's right there. How do you pretend that's under the main headquarters? The, the entrance was dug by the, by the army. At a depth of about 20 meters, we see elaborately developed rooms. IDF says that's under a school. The person says, but is there a tunnel entrance from the school? IDF says, that's not what it's about. The tunnel is under a school. This is to protect Hamas leaders. They use school trolls, human shields. That's what happened. The person then responds, further away from the UNRWA headquarters, according to the Israeli army, Hamas operated intelligence headquarters supplied with electricity from above. We can't verify that. UNRWA says it cannot comment on this, but it has always followed up on indications of tunnels in the past. Now, I bet you my life they didn't say we can't comment. They say we don't know. We can't comment because we don't have any information. Just like he said about the original thing when they said there's a headquarters under the school. He didn't speak up and say, I didn't know that was there. He said, I have no information. And they very willingly played on one, I think, was the language barrier and the way it was stated. If you read the entire tweet, that's why they cropped it and give you the link. It's very clear. He goes, I'm not confirming this. I have nothing to indicate this. We want an independent investigation. And, of course, Eli David clipped it and said, see, he admits it. You know, he didn't say that exactly, but that was the implication of the tweet. So they're telling you right there. Is there an entrance to it? That's not what it's about. 
Just because the tunnel crosses under the ground here, that's human shields. Think about that argument. So now you're going to tell me that if there's a tunnel that even crosses under a building, even though there's no way to access the building, you now argue that that makes that a human shield? Well, how about that's their excuse because the tunnels run all over the place to just bomb everything in Gaza? They don't really need any more excuses. They've given you a thousand, even though they're not justified. But he goes, in short, Sophie von der Tan, that was the person speaking in that interview, says the following. The entrance was not on the school grounds. The IDF claims to be below the school. The IDF claims Hamas uses uh, school children as human shields. The IDF claims that there is a Hamas intelligence headquarters under the UNRWA headquarters. The ARD cannot verify that. UNRWA, that's the article. UNRWA cannot comment on this, saying that they do not know anything about the tunnel. That's the point. However, indications of a tunnel have always been investigated. They have, as I showed you the last time. They, I've spoken up many times over the years going, you know, we're using this location. There seems to be a tunnel right there. We want you guys to know about that. You just, you can't, the way that they're doing this is so insulting to your intelligence because it's so clear that they're trying to frame these people for their own interests. The sixth point can be confirmed with a quick Google search. <clears throat> and according to UNRWA Chief Philippe Lazzarini, UNRWA personnel had already vacated the school on the 12th, which again, as much as I was explicitly clear, my point was simply pointing out that, look, there's a huge gap time right there of when they left to when this is happening. That does not to say they built all this in that, many, that time frame. I don't know. I'm simply pointing out that there was a huge gap of time when things could have been done. That being said, I think there's a lot of other possibilities. But it seems like people are such binary thinkers today that you it's they fixate on one point. Like somebody responded today going, are you really suggesting they built all of this? And I said, no, not at all. <laughs> That's not at all what I said. Listen again. But he goes on to say, point four and five say that those PR tours for journalists apparently did not go through the tunnel to the alleged intelligence headquarters, but had to rely on the information provided by the IDF. Surprise, surprise. As well as on this weird little video from a toilet camera. He says, but where they are, but where are they here? If not in the Hamas data center. Well, we'll get into that in a moment. That's all the cables and stuff that have this weird, this, you know, image that seems to be from neither of the places they were at. But says point three is extremely questionable since Hamas would only, would only be endangered under the most severe war conditions at the depths of 20 meters, if at all. There will be no children in school during these times, so the human shield will not work with the worst if the worst comes to worst. I, look, it doesn't right there. It doesn't fly. Let's to be clear: if everything they're saying is even is exactly true, it still does not give them the legal justification to bomb places where children will be, or where there's a civilian. It just is not how that works. There's, we've never been in a circumstance. I mean, just like with the bank robber analogy or any kind of warfare, we've never been in a situation where you can go, "Oh, well, we think there's a Hamas member there, so we're going to bomb 400 people." Al Jabali uh, refugee camp. I just it's never because that's illegal. And, and once this all dies away, the fervor of it all and the political screaming, well, they're going to go to jail or something will happen because there's far too many people in the international community and other countries that are not going to let this slide. That's why it's clear he wants to keep this going. He says, so the IDF argument takes itself to the point of absurdity. Point two is an outright lie, as we noted above. Point one confirms that the satellite map published by the IDF is, to put it nicely, misleading. <laughs> it's a lie. They just misrepresent the boundaries and everything. It says, <clears throat> if you try to find out where the 20-meter deep tunnel entrance leads, <clears throat> the videos released by the IDF usually show a soldier climbing through a welded protected door, but that door isn't there. Surprise, surprise. I mean, how often? It's like you really wonder why they can't piece these things together. Are they really that bad at this? 
In other videos, a cheerful journalist climbs into the tunnel without a safety door, apparently looking straight into a bright room at the far end. Note the thick cables on the right side of the tunnel. You can see at the bottom. In, in variant three, another journalist climbs into the tunnel, follows it straight ahead, and also arrives at a brighter place, but without cables on the right. <laughs> Oops. And he didn't have to climb through a protective door either. After a cut in, in which the wall changes from the rough vertical pattern to the Hamas tunnel concrete elements into narrow horizontal lines, he suddenly finds himself in the battery room. It's just, this is just bad. Like, are they really this clumsy? And this is the same battery room that the IDF allegedly entered through, this dr through the drilled hole with the toilet camera, even in the same direction. Now, he says, with the bright room, with the cables on the right, is, pro is probably just this fork in the road, which leads to the left into a closed room and the right into a further tunnel. He says, this means that this further tunnel probably runs under the road to the southwest and not at all to the UNRWA headquarters to the southeast. Back to the question of where the journalist and, and the uh, the where the journalist of the plat the platform that's the German platform apparently ended up because, as she says in the commentary, she did not see the alleged intelligence headquarters at the other end of the tunnel. So where is she? She's in a room where Hamas has allegedly cut off all the cables coming from above. That was the one they showed you, and all of these cables, according to the IDF, were previously connected to a small box in the wall, which seems absurd per se. Which is actually. It really does. Like, how are you really pretending that all of this was connected to that tiny thing? Hardly. But he says the column of the wall is also striking. So we are in a building and no longer in a tunnel system. It's 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 painfully obvious, guys. That's what they I keep trying to say this in particular, that they simply showed you something that was in the building versus what was actually down there, which is why they had to show you on a TV screen. In short, we know when they were there in person, I should say. In short, he says, we are in the basement of the UNRWA building. Exactly. And what we are shown is the UNRWA data center in the basement of the same building. Why Hamas would cut all the cables here remains a mystery, if that's even what happened, though. For all we know, this was in a done... How much you want to bet if it would make the most sense is that the Israeli government did it. We try to argue that they did this because they were hiding something. And, by the way, it also hurts their operations at, the, at UNRWA. That seems like a perfectly plausible, based on what they've done so far, actions for the IDF. He says, but a Reuters video sheds a little more light on the matter. Which is usually how this works, because they let these people come and they don't realize they're filming the wrong thing. They're just not thinking this stuff through. But it says, the IDF's claim is that these cables that disappear into the ground there go directly to the Hamas intelligence center and connect that intelligence center to the UNRWA servers. However, Unsuspecting journalists are not told that in data centers of the large organizations such as UNRWA that the cables are usually laid under the floor. And since no one among the journalists has seen the data center, we are now in the realm of fantasy at the latest. The fanta this fantastic intel center is mixed in various wild video uh, potpourri with, for example, senior disabled scooters, which, I mean, these are things that are in the, the random shots as if Hamas were rolling through the narrow tunnels. And to me, this is an, a, a, an unused almost area where things end up from the hot, from the, the, the building. This too is a, a medical material, presumably in the basement of UNRWA, which is, you know, what a lot of what they do is helping people. And that in turn means that a curved ceiling is not synonymous with the Ross tunnel. In another video, an IDF soldier finds a single mortar shell on the shelf, of course, among a spray, USB cable, an old phone, and paperwork. That's a Hamas everything, right? That's the way they do it. Come on, Hamas. 
It says, in another detached video from Antique Furniture, the IDF finds a number of weapons, some of them completely rusted. Because <laughs> that makes sense, right? However, the documents of the terrorists were apparently blurred, presumably in order to not be able to establish a connection to a completely different incident. Exactly. Like, why would you blur anything? And, and so the IDF proudly shows us what they found. And this is supposed to be the proof. It's just, it's embarrassing. And then even ask yourself, let's just say that was the reality. Was it worth all the people you killed? No. Even if that was true. And it's not. Only a particularly rusted sniper rifle, a stolen IDF weapon, apparently, and a 60 millimeter grenade are at the are on the truck for some reason and not in the display of fines. Like, so the point is these don't even line up with what they showed you. It just doesn't make any sense. Now he goes over to summarize in general, but I'll, I think that's, I'll leave you with that. There's a few more things he goes into, but I, I think this is very, very obvious personally. So again, don't forget, Al-Shifa was the other location they tried to do this, or one of the others for that matter. And even the Washington Post published an investigation where they found very clearly, and here's the headline, the case of Al-Shifa investigating the assault on Gaza's largest hospital. Well, they argued this was the command center. But directly connected that Al Shifa was hiding it all, and everybody there knew, including UNRWA. Remember, they have all they made all these claims. Well, their own investigation showed that none of the rooms were connected to a tunnel network at all. Period. None of the five hospital buildings identified by identified by Hagari, he was the whole Hamas calendar ridiculous person, appeared to be connected to the tunnel network. None of the buildings, none of the rooms, none of the buildings. And then finally, there is no evidence that tunnels could be accessed from inside the hospital wards. By the way, that's even assuming those tunnels were actually tunnels, which I don't think they were. They would have shown you more than our manipulated videos and, and uh, elevator shafts, if that was the case. Bottom line, they lied. They lied. So why would we believe them now? But they're going to try to marshal this right away into some kind of momentum. As here's one of these Zionist supporters saying, Suddenly, these are the big boogeymen. Antonio Guterres, Felipe, Felipe Lazzarini, and Francesca Albanese. Like, again, I am no supporter of the United Nations body. But to argue that suddenly these three people, she says, represent the triple head of the Hydra? My God, that is the United Nations and its most corrupt body? Well, no, we should not. We should be skeptical of anything UN is doing. But realize that the only reason these three people is because these are three people that have continually spoken, well, largely Philippe and Francesca, have been speaking out about what Israel is doing. But they've marshaled this into some kind of an attack on these people. As I said here, this is just about Francesca. Because she came out and simply said, rightly so, in regard to Macron saying this was the largest anti-Semitic attack on October 7th. And she says no. The victims of 10-7 were not killed because of their Judaism, but in response to Israel's oppression. Now, you, you that's a very basic and provable example. We already went over this. No way does that then by default mean that you're ignoring some kind of attack on it. Like, the point is that those things happened very clearly because of 75 years of brutal occupation of per every human rights group and every international body, the UN, everybody. But apparently that doesn't matter because you're racist which is where they took this. And now they're attacking her. And this is the third or fourth person I've seen do this. The UN's recent statement to the French president framing the October 7th massacre as a reaction to Israeli oppression, which it was, rather than an act of anti-Jewish hatred. You see, it has to be racism. 
The only way this whole thing works, and it's not going to, no matter what they do, they've already lost this. They lost in the first week of this. But the point is, in their minds, the only way they could maybe make this work is if we continue making you think that all of this was some massive worldwide conspiracy to hurt Jews at all costs. I mean, even saying it out loud, that sounds really silly, right? It does. It's not real. There are people that hate Jewish people. There are people that hate Christians. People are like that in the world. It's not any more unique to Jewish people than it is to Christians or anything else. In fact, what they're doing, as I keep telling you, these kind of Zionist supporters are the ones creating the very hatred they use to act like what we're doing when we criticize the Israeli government is racism. He says, I call on the secretary general. Oh, weird. You mean one of these guys who's also part of the, uh, the, the terrorist UNRWA Hydra? <laughs> Hold on a minute. So you're telling me that if he suddenly goes bad, they're bad, then he's on your team again. I got it. So it's like always. As long as they play ball with your narrative, they'll, they're the best people in the world. But if they barely step out of line, you're a Jew-hating terrorist maniac and you need to be put in prison. Right, because that makes sense, right? People like Blinken and Biden who just kind of go, well, maybe we should kill less children. They, oh my God, you're a terrorist racist. You hate Jews. Those are the people that are on your side more than anybody and you're attacking them if they blink the wrong way. It just shows you how desperate this all is. So clearly, you are appealing to the UN, right? Even as you're calling them terrorists. Is this doesn't make my entire point. You've got Eli David and Levy and, and even, even people in the Israeli government. Well, technically, Elon Levy is part of the government as a spokesperson for October 7th, openly saying the UN is Hamas. Posting memes showing the UN and, and the Scooby-Doo pulling off the mask. Oh, it's, it's Hamas. And then one of these people comes and goes, UN! So Hamas, help us fight Hamas! <laughs> that's what they're basically doing, based on their narrative anyway. Which should really show you that they know that's not the case. They're using this to try to stifle criticism of Israel, and it makes them look dumb when it turns out that they're appealing to the group that you're calling Hamas to help you stop the thing you're calling Hamas. That's how dumb it all is. Either way, you're trying to marshal this into hatred against her because she's calling out the obvious. It's an illegal occupation, and they responded to it. That's not to say that crimes weren't committed. That's only in your fantasy world that you make it about this binary reality. It's insulting. And it's been more than insulting. As per Euromed Human Rights Monitor, 36,671 people killed. 36,671. 33,000 civilians, 14,000 of which are children. 14,000. 92% of this is civilians. 92%. I just don't know how we pretend, no matter what your narrative is, how that is not the most obvious thing to understand. That's murder. That is assassination. That is genocide. That is ethnic cleansing. It's everything you think it is. And here's what they're now, and I keep telling you this, I've shown you examples of this right out of the gate. Their, uh, their push was, it's only about Hamas. We're trying to save all the innocent Palestinians, right? But then right away, it was like, well, but, 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 but they voted for Hamas. So they're not exactly innocent. And the president comes out and says, well, there's nobody innocent in Gaza. because." But then, you know, they speak to Biden and UN. Oh, well, we're fighting for the innocent Palestinians. Meanwhile, their government comes out and goes, they're all snakes. And they always should kill their parents if they, you know, that's what they'll keep doing. Do I have to play the clip again from the member of parliament literally reading off their statements? We should execute their families. I mean, it's, it's constant. 
The point is that even their leadership came out and said, nope, there's nobody innocent. That one member of parliament stood up and said, the children deserve what they've gotten. That's been stated more than once. So my point is, they've gone out of their way to try to water down the argument. So yeah, we're only going after Hamas, but should you suddenly accept the point that they're all bad guys, here's why. New evidence from October 7th through this secondhand relaying of information from somebody who told somebody who saw what was going on, how this how all this works. There's new evidence, quote-unquote evidence is a very flimsy term for that, suggests that Arab women and children, new evidence suggests that. Yeah, that should give you a good indication. Arab women and children were among the attackers. Look, the gate was open, which, by the way, we should not ignore with that. Const- it's sort of like if we're talking about Hamas in any context, first, let's realize that we can prove that Israel funds Hamas, that they know that, they've proven it, and we're going to go over it again more than once. The point being that if we know that, well, okay, so if Hamas did this, well, you have to contextualize this with that Israel was arming and funding them before this happened. Okay, so then it happens. The gate was open in regard, more than one, in fact, but the point was, too, let's not, we also have to contextualize it with the fact that they were warned in certain ways. People were raising the issue. They were telling their their IDF commanders, hey, I see them doing things, and they say, you shut up about that, or we're going to bring you to jail. Paraphrasing, which is what happened. We're going to put you up on charges if you keep bringing this up. That was actually reported by, I think it was Heretz. Multiple IDF warnings, countries spoke up, people saw things coming, and weirdly, they all just looked the other way. I'm beginning to think this was more of like a coup almost, just my personal gut feeling, like the Zionism, religious Zionism aspects, like that part of their coalition, who clearly, I think, wanted to execute some extremist outcome. And maybe that's not what all the rest of their government was aware of or wanted. I don't know. But I do know that there was indications of some level that they that they knew this was coming, right? So that all being said, you have to contextualize it with those things. Then there was a point, as even Robert's written around, where people were coming in that weren't part of any operation, right? You have Hamas, but then there are people from other groups, which I'll, I'll make a point on yet again, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which apparently has like 100,000 members. So when they keep telling you, only Hamas, once we get them, we're done. Well, that doesn't make any sense. There's way more people in these resistance groups that aren't part of Hamas than there are. And they're not talking about that. It's just the next excuse to come. Mark my words. But some of them came through. And yeah, average people came through. And if you put average people in a group, some of them are going to be really bad people. Some of them are going to want to steal. Some of them are going to rape, rob, and murder. Guys, that's just the world, unfortunately. And I hope it's a smaller percentage than I would like to think. The point, though, is that, yeah, so people came through. But is your argument then that because one person did a bad thing that anybody of that race or color is likewise do the same? Oops, <laughs> that's racism. By that same logic, I can say that you're going to do things because you're Israeli. Or, uh-oh, because you're Jewish. You see, the point is, we're not allowed to make those claims. Nobody should, because that's ignorant. That is the disgusting bottom-of-the-barrel level of ignorance which people, just like her, show you every single day. Is Palestinians are gross and bad and dirty. That's why we don't want them here, and that's what everybody else thinks, but I'm not racist, you are. <laughs> yeah, right. So, her point is, which we can't prove, mind you, secondhand relayed information. Well, I heard someone told me that they saw other people get told that they were having Arab women and children came through. Okay, according to this report, this person, anonymous, by the way, I talked to mothers who survived the inferno and they tell me, okay, so now we've got a report. Oh, excuse me. I don't think, well, this is coming from the reporter speaking to somebody that you can't confirm. So that was the point about the anonymous. I, this person is reporting to this reporter 
I talked to a mother, <laughs> so stupid, who told me that among the people that broke into their homes, there were also women and children. And another person says that they saw... Guys, this is a tab. This is tabloid news. Now I'm not saying maybe. And again, my point was who, the pe- people who come, they came through, and that's horrible, and that shouldn't be ignored. But you can't just conflate that everybody in Palestine is bad because this woman heard from a story from her neighbor that they saw somebody do these things. That is the kind of BS that these people are pushing forward. She's the former head speechwriter for the mission to the UN for Israel. Shocking, and that's the kind of evidence they think is good to push forward. Here's Elon Levy saying, there has never, ever been a time in history, of all of human history, he says, when the world has supported the Jews' right to physically defend themselves from murderous attacks. So, okay, so his argument is literally everybody on the planet is the enemy of the Jews. Okay. I I just think that, I mean, doesn't this begin to show you the kind of narrative that they're wanting to set up? So you're telling me when when Britain gave you somebody else's territory to set up your own Zionist land, country, you know, territorial dimensions, that that wasn't somebody supporting your right to defend yourself? What do you think Biden keeps saying, Elon, every day? They have a right to defend themselves. Okay, so explain for me how that's not a time in history where the world supported their right. Okay. Your point is that we are should be allowed to do, and I'm talking about the Zionist government of Israel, anything we want to do. And claim us defense, and you're not allowed to say we're doing something wrong, and if we do, you're a racist. Well, thank you for outlining exactly how this absurd narrative is supposed to work, but it's not anymore. He's quoting somebody saying, is Israel losing international support? We can speak to Israeli government spokesman. The point is, this is another person, I'll show you in a minute, European Union foreign policy chief, saying, well, if they're murdering children, maybe you should stop arming them. (laughs) Yeah, duh. Welcome to Logic 101 that no one's listening to. Well, here's his point about self-defense. As uh, Fahid points out, does this look like self-defense? This is just Israel-Gaza compared to other wars. Child child deaths in conflict zones. Now realize, we're talking about Iraq. 14 years. 0.6. That's children killed every day. Ukraine, 21 months. Apparently the biggest genocide ever, if you listen to the corporate media. 0.7. Yemen, 7.5 years and some horrifying starvation campaigns, bombings, terrible stuff, 1.5. Afghanistan, 12 years, 8,000 children killed. That amounts to two a day. Syria, 11 years, 12,000 children killed. That's three a day. You realize this is why this is so important to understand. 11 years, 12 years, seven years with big numbers. We're talking 30 days. 30 days. Now, this is way back when, mind you. This is the sort, this was November. So my point here is to understand it's only worse now. The number is up to, I think forget what it is now, but the point is that at the time, with a smaller amount of time frame, they were already up to 136 children a day. That's just the most disgusting thing It's so obvious. There's no way to pretend like they're all terrorists. They're not. And even then, are you pretending that they're being used as human shields so you're willing to kill children to stop? I mean, it's just every way you look at this is despicable. And people like that are supporting it. And quite frankly, people like this are supporting it. We shouldn't be restraining them, Mike Pompeo says. Ryan Mullis has something to show you. 
Well, hey, let's listen to Mike Pompeo say this first. U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, shalom. Hi, how are you? So He's in Israel, about by your the feelings way. As you visit this area, you visited Faraza, you're here where the massacre uh, took place and the Nova Festival. You know the stories, you know the information, the numbers and everything. Well, he knows the narrative, right? I'm sure we're not talking about how many of them were shot by the IDF because that's not part of the story. Thing, but why was it so important to come here, to be here? It's always different when you when you actually walk ground uh, where tragedies have taken place. The emotion, the feelings of being the the, the, the see the families is always different than just watching it on TV or or reading about it. And so, uh, you know, we we pray for these people who lost loved ones here and all throughout the terror that took place on October seventh. And what should be the message to the world from here? It should be that America stands with Israel, and we always will. We, we've also we've got to get these. This guy's going to be running for president. There's no reason he would be doing any of this. He holds a bunch of positions on like disinformation boards and so on, but he's not in a political office as far as I can tell. I, I, will, I bet you anything he's setting up for some, I'm not talking about this next election, maybe, who knows, but I, I, I foresee this being that he is building, he lost weight, he's, you know, this is clearly an effort to place himself as some kind of campaign. It's, the guy is the worst of the worst. I mean, just across the board. From CIA elements to the fact that he has been proudly, I mean, he might as well be in line with Nikki Haley as far as I'm concerned. Like, just, I think Nikki Haley's trying to channel someone like Pompeo. But here he is with all that's going on in the country. He was over in Israel like everybody else. Hostages back. Um, I, I, I stand here just kilometers away from where these hostages are being held. We have, we have to get. And while he's saying that, two children starve to death. But keep talking about the buildings from four months ago. Get them home. And you know, uh, at the beginning, President Biden said to the world, to Iran, to Hezbollah, to the world, don't, don't mess with Israel. And now there's a feeling that Biden is saying to Israel, don't. Yeah, we should make clear that we support the decisions of the Israeli leadership. We shouldn't be restraining them. The Israeli My leadership God. will behave in a way that is decent and honorable. And most importantly, will fulfill the obligation that it has to keep its own people safe. Yeah, except for every other legitimate source in the world, though. You know, the World Court, human rights groups, the UN, Oxfam, everybody. But Pompeo knows better. Right. So the, the, we should let our morals of the world be guided by the Pompeos who have openly told you more than once. That uh, where was there it is. <laughs> I can't find it more than once. You know, that they're not the most honest people in the world. was the CIA director. We lied, we cheated, we steal, stole. It's, it was like we we had we had entire we had entire training courses. Yeah, yeah, we know, we know. So the point there, obviously, you know, half of those people probably went on to kill children and bomb buildings after that. You know, whatever actually happened. But don't let's dance around and let's ignore what Ryan here is trying to show you. We we shouldn't be restraining them. He points out. You know, we lie, we cheat, we steal. Pompeo openly bragging about how. You know, we teach them not to do it, but then that's what we actually do. It's a perfect analogy for what these governments are. These governments, but one of them being the U.S. government. Clearly, 
Lying, cheating, stealing, as long as you do it, it's okay. But just take a quick glance at this. Day by day, Ryan breaks this down. Right? 180, 320, 290. These are are people being killed, Palestinians, every day. Going all the way down. And this ends on day 127 with 128 provable killings. Over 85% of the buildings destroyed. But Pompeo says not to restrain them. But think about all the things we have. So Amnesty International does a report that proves they're murdering families. Amnesty International does a report that proves they're torturing people. 972 Magazine does a report citing IDF members that they're bombing buildings to kill people and displace. We have open discussions about displacement and new illegal settlements by everybody's definition. And all we can say is don't restrain them. This is not somebody fighting for American interests. This is not somebody fighting for human interests. This is a person fighting for power and control of the elitist system. He sees Israel as something that has always been the power structure, and he is leaning into that because that's all he knows, or that's what he wants. Either way, you're watching a group get exposed for being for openly committing genocide. His response is to say, shut up. Stop stopping them. Let them keep going. You're wrong. I mean, my God, think about the, and this is at a time where, Every the world is very clearly on the side of this is wrong. I mean, we all know that. And this guy, the hubris, steps into that and goes, You're all wrong. We support Israel. I mean, even other people on his side of this are kind of walking that back. And don't forget, guys, this is like what a week and a half ago. We shouldn't restrain them, he says. And here's 60%. Those are all buildings that have been destroyed by bombings. Now, here's Decentered News pointing out another clip. It's what he says about the IDF. Biden say that Israel's conduct of its response in Gaza was, quote, over the top. What, what did you think when you heard that? What was your reaction when you first heard that uh, or saw that on the television? Well, two thoughts. Um, I know the warriors of the IDF. Uh, I can't imagine that they're behaving in a way that would be, quote, over the top, end of quote. I am confident they're doing this in a way that is methodical and providing for their own security. My second thought. My second thought is on the television. Well, two thoughts. Um, I know the warriors of the IDF. Uh, I can't imagine that they're behaving in a way that would be, quote, over the top, end of quote. I am confident they're doing this in a way that is methodical and providing for their own security. My second thought is uh, we have to be really careful when we use language like that because it gives encouragement to the Iranians, encouragement to Hamas saying, you know, maybe we can just hang in there just a little bit longer and continue to fight this fight. And we should never give anything that provides any aid or any comfort to these evil men. You can literally hear them bombing Gaza in the background. You can literally hear the people, the sounds of dying innocent people while he's telling you to blindly support Israel. I just don't even have the words. These people are grotesque. 
And the, you know, the worst part of it is, you know, he knows this in his mind, whether you think it's some greater good rationale or not, he's very aware that he's hiding the reality from you to support Israel for some political end or whatever it is. There's no questioning that this is wrong. Anybody with a soul and a heart can see that they're murdering people. Even if you think it's for a larger, greater good, it doesn't matter. They're killing people at unprecedented levels, and people go there and blindly support this and say, you should not be looking at this. You don't understand. Iran's bad. So we just ignore the most amount of children we've ever seen killed in our lifetimes because Iran bad. But I'll tell you what, if Iran skins the knee of a child tomorrow, we're going to freak out about it and tell you for three years why they're the worst terrorist supporting group in the world. But don't mind the 132 children we killed today because freedom, because Hamas bad, because t- 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 human shields. I just, it, it is overwhelming. Now, again, you can't ignore if all of the, what they said is true. So explain for me, Pompeo, while you're pretending we should be fighting the group that you're funding. The ones I've shown you, again, Times of Israel, on the 8th of October, that Netanyahu propped up Hamas for years. Shouldn't be too hard to understand. Haaretz on the 9th. Anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of Palestinian state has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas, arming and funding Hamas. He says, this is part of our strategy. And the point is in the article, it goes on to say, to make sure there will never be a Palestinian state or rather to avoid the two-state solution. Which again, at the time, they were pretending they wanted. Lie after lie after lie. And Haaretz is trying to tell you. Some people in there, anyway. So Pompeo is telling you we have to blindly support the murder of all these children because they're fighting the group that they funded and armed and grew to this point. Does that seem honest to anybody? The reason I bring it up again today is to show you another aspect of it. Mossad chief visits Qatar to urge them to continue funding Hamas. Well, isn't that strange? 2020, Mossad chief visits Doha, capital of Qatar. I keep telling you this. The point is that, they, yeah, they have been and are funding because this, in its in some aspects, is still a proxy element. But my point is, since 2000, I mean, I, just in general, but I think largely since the, the fake election as I see it, there has been more and more people joining from within Gaza that are just average people that want to fight against the occupation. And I think over all this time, whatever it was, is whatever they wanted it to be to keep the, it changed. <clears throat> now, that doesn't mean there aren't still elements within it that are loyal to some aspect of Israel. But I think very clearly <clears throat> they thought they could dictate the outcome by funding and arming the leadership. But they were wrong because the leadership is just as corrupt and dumb as they are. So here they are sitting in their cushy offices in Qatar, getting billions of dollars from Israel and the United States, acting like it wasn't their fault when secretly you can see, barely secretly, that they were doing it on purpose to stop Palestine from having a state and keeping West Bank and and Gaza from connecting with each other. My point is, they're the ones that were getting the funding through Israel, and they're keeping them right now safe in Qatar. So they're not fighting Hamas. They're fighting what became of it after they lost control is how I would read that. And again, that doesn't mean that there's still there might be aspects of it that we don't know about. It's it's very muddied. It's intentionally so. So don't think it's all or one thing. Just be objective and engage with it as it goes forward, knowing that it's not everything they say it is or everything that, that Israel wants it to be. But here we are, 2020. The visit came to light in an interview with former defense minister Avigdor Lieberman when he gave Israel's Channel 12 news on Saturday saying Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu sent Cohen, 
who at the time was the Mossad leader, and the, and the Israeli military's chief of Southern Command, Herzl Halevi, to quote, per Haaretz, beg the Qataris to keep funneling money to Hamas. So why do you think they're working with Qatar? Why do you think they're involved with the deal, with the moderation? It's all part of an organized effort here. They are funding and working with these elements. And this is the point, begging them, Netanyahu, begging them to keep funding the group that at the time he told you was the terrorist group that they're trying to fight. Begging them to fund the group that they later in, that later killed people that they're pretending that they're trying to fight. All of a sudden, Netanyahu shows up as a, as a Hamas advocate, pressuring Egypt and the Qataris to continue with financial support, said Lieberman. Adding that Netanyahu's policy is tantamount to surrender to terrorism. Well, look at that. Doesn't that matter? But there's one more part. The bottom line is, guys, that this is obvious. Openly stated by Netanyahu, Haaretz cited, sending the Mossad chief to Qatar to beg for more funding for the group that you pretend you're fighting. And even their own media after your supposed 9-11 was saying, well, you did this. And yet we can't seem to wrap our minds around that in some cases. And going forward, it's not just money, by the way, but they've continued to steal from the people in Gaza. This is what's hilarious. So they're funding, in a disgusting macabre way, funding Hamas and blaming it on all the Palestinians like everything else they do. And then they go in murdering Palestinians of that same guys and while doing so, destroy everything they own, take whatever they want, and then rob the money that did in fact make it through to the Palestinian Authority that they had in the bank, which are what they claim is meant to operate the, P, the Palestinian Authority. And that's so think about this. So you've got a Palestinian Authority who, by and large, according to most Palestinians, is an agent of Israel. And then you've got the Hamas leadership both of which are getting money hand over fist from the Israeli government, very little of which makes it into the hands of Palestinians. And whose fault is that? They'll love to blame everybody else, but the point is these are things that are manipulated by Israel. We can prove that. So on top of all of that, $54 million sitting in the bank probably could have been used a hell of a lot better ways for helping Palestinians, but they stole that too. Israeli soldiers seized 200 mil, rather $54 million dollars from the Bank of Palestine headquarters in Gaza, according to an Israeli newspaper. They cited Israeli officers speaking on the record, saying a military force took the funds allocated for Palestinian Authority. Why? They wanted to make sure it didn't end up in the hands of Hamas. Isn't that an easy example? Well, yeah, we stole these people's you know, TV. You know, we didn't make sure Hamas couldn't get it. We took all the jewelry out of this house because just in case, that's what's happening. You could argue it has something to do with Hamas, but the bottom line is, I think this is very clearly, they're getting rid of all Palestine, and this is about seizing everything they can. It's just grotesque. It's open terrorism, thievery, rape, murder, everything right on the surface, and that's what I said from day one. The worst part of it is not that it's happening. It's that you have people standing up going, that's a good thing. Like, that's what's so jarring for most people, like honest, good people that don't really know much about what's going on. They say this and they go, there's no way that child's dangling, torn up body from the bombing in Rafa is somehow about freedom or those are all terrorists, human shields. It doesn't matter. Too many people have seen too many things to walk away from this hearing. Their narrative doesn't work. It's grotesque and people are seeing through it. And people like this are drowning in the lies. Here's Elon Levy. 
spokesman for October 7th for his life, apparently. Unfortunately, he says Hamas doesn't want to pause. Yeah, well, you're right about that before you finish your lie. Nobody wants a pause except Israel because a pause means a small exchange where you arrest the people you let go right afterward like you did last time. You give a, an insulting amount of aid and then go right back to murdering everybody, displacing everybody, and continuing to stall all the aid, which is what you're currently doing. But he goes, Hamas doesn't want to pause. What they've offered repeatedly since the first week, which I'll prove to you and have continued to prove, is a full exchange for all hostages and a ceasefire. The point is, Israel doesn't want a ceasefire, even at the expense of their hostages. That's the point to take away from this. Most of their hostage families know this and are screaming about it to anybody that will listen, and nobody wants to hear them. But our media will tell you that we're racist for not supporting them, even though they don't support their own government to do what they're doing now. This game of pointing fingers. The reality being that most everybody sees that Israel is murdering people right now. In the eyes of the hostage families, they're murdering their own families because they want them home and they're bombing where they likely are, gassing where they likely are, flooding where they likely are, or shooting them dead in the street when they walk up to them going, please don't shoot me, which happened to three of them. One of them 15 minutes after the first two. There's just no way to misunderstand that. Hannibal Directive. But the point is, the ceasefire would actually bring them home if that was their number one priority. It is not. He says Hamas doesn't want to pause to get aid in and hostages out. If it were that easy, we would have done it ages ago. No, you've been offered like 15 different times and you keep saying no. I'll prove it to you again. I mean, I've got this corporate media as well as anywhere else you want to look where they keep rejecting it and even publicly insist that we won't we don't want any offer until we can get rid of Hamas, which he's been saying since the beginning. So this is Elon lying again. Which is his job, which, by the way, is not that unique. It's government. Government lies. Government, no more than, you know, KJP lies every day. So does Elon Levy. That's what their jobs are. But, you know, Elon Levy just happens to be lying for genocide. It's a little bit more gross. But he goes, if it were that easy, we'd have done it ages ago. Hamas is trying to hold on to 136 hostages as leverage. I mean, how do you think you can get away with a lie like that? Even though they've been offering all of them over and over and over and over, you keep saying no. So explain how it makes sense to say they're trying to keep them even though every time you're denying taking them back. That, my friends, is desperation. You don't make a lie like that knowing that people like me are going to go, trust me, he knows we're on his heels. I'm constantly, not just me, but a lot of people are constantly tweeting underneath him going, wrong, proof, you're lying. He knows that. My point is, why would you make this statement knowing it's that simple that we can quite literally go to the very corporate media they point to to go, nope, you're lying. It's right there in black and white because you're desperate. So they want to hold on to them as long as they can to survive. It doesn't make any sense based on what they've been doing repeatedly. This person is saying they're calling for an immediate pause, which is stupid, a ceasefire, because we need to get AIDS in and hostages out. Well, that's the whole point. That's what everybody wants. The only group in the world, it seems, that's stated outwardly doesn't want that is Israel. Everybody else is calling for ceasefire aid. They want the war, so they say no. And then scream at you for saying Hamas should surrender. We want our hostages back. Well, you just turned them down, so I don't believe you. He says, remember, we had a hostage release pause in late November. One day pause in the fighting for every 10 hostages, which, by the way, was continuing. Then on December 1st, he continues to lie. Hamas decided to resume the war. I mean, is he just, I mean, I don't even think that was the narrative at the time from any side. So, as I said, just desperately trying to kind of remap the, the, the story, the point was, 
Israel argued that they they offered they basically tried to return the Bibas family. That's what it was. The Bibas family has been killed. The father said this publicly. They don't, and they've been using those family members as some kind of propaganda tool. I guess the red hair is very unique. They spoke about this right at the beginning, at least in their in their circles. And so they've been putting up posters about their red faces or the red hair. They keep doing it. Eli alone, the other uh, Eli David posted like fourteen times in a couple of weeks. I, I showed you on the show. At the very least, the father said they were killed by an RDF bomb. So my point was, and I remember you remember me saying this. Hamas tried to return their bodies. Israel didn't want that to be public knowledge. So they spun the whole thing out and said, they broke the rules, they went right back to bombing. They didn't. Nobody argued that. There was no breaking of any... They, they, Israel broke them right in the beginning by keeping continuing to bomb and attack in the West Bank. It was a ceasefire. Not just in Gaza, but for the entire engagement. They broke it from day one. But Hamas, they didn't do anything about it. They kept going. They broke the deal when they didn't want to accept the Bewis family bodies back. But it'll happen eventually, and they'll blame it on Hamas, just like was the biggest worry of some of the hostages that were released, that they would go home as a body, and they would say Hamas did it when they knew it was the IDF bombings. That was a publicly stated worry by people coming home from being kidnapped, and they're more afraid of their own government? Well, it kind of makes sense the more you understand about the story. But he's lying. Over and over and over, that's what these people do. But we need to realize, I've been posting about this. So he's saying this about the most recent one. This is on the 10th, February. Well, this one, I, I posted this back on December 20th, 2023. During a TV interview, the deputy... Now, also, by the way, quick note, notice how many different faces we keep seeing juxtaposed in front of us. There's been a few static, like Elon and, and Dave and Eli David. But what's interesting to me is we keep getting these new... Oh, now you got a new representative or a new mayor speaking. Well, I, they keep trying to make things like this person spoke up and made a fool of herself by saying that basically she said that uh, denied the existence of churches in Gaza. <laughs> that's how dumb they think we are. Claiming they were driven out by Hamas. The guy goes, well, that's not true. There's one right there. And here, this is a church where there was the priests were speaking up and they were sniping them with Israeli snipers. And she goes, well, yeah, there is some, but <laughs> it's like, how? And then we never saw her again. I think they're just shuffling through people because people are getting exposed. But I said here, the Zionists are pathological liars. Not only has the ceasefire, which she lies about, included the release of all hostages, but the U.S. was the sole veto. So in the beginning, before even we got the inner workings of it, the U.S. kept vetoing the deal. The U.N. was putting forward the deal. Hamas supported it, said they would abide by it. And the veto was the U.S. And they keep pretending that it's Hamas. But I said, then both Israel and the U.S. vetoed against the second one, which they are currently ignoring. They don't care about their own people. I said voted against, excuse me, because the second one wasn't a possible veto. They both voted against it, but it passed that they had to do it. Nobody did it. <laughs> but please, U.N., do a thing against them for us, right? Pathetic. But here, this was on January 30th, so a month further. Israeli Prime Minister rules out Gaza withdrawal or release of thousands of militants. Both were key Hamas demands. Right. So Hamas says full exchange ceasefire for these things. They say no. Right. But then he goes on to lie and say, if it was that easy, we would have done it by now. You're a liar. It's that simple. And I said, in other words, the reality, the Israeli government continues to not accept the full offer for all the hostages to receive all of them opts for war instead. 
This was another one. This one is from, oh, this was just the point that I, so here's another example of this, this, this person, ridiculous person saying, this was Hagari right here, basically saying that they conveyed to the public the tragic news. We've been notified 31 families, their loved ones are, are hostages are no longer alive. Blaming it on Hamas, which is certainly possible. But we already know, based on hostages that have come home, that they watched people get killed by their bombings. They never said that, but they, they just kept pretending the number was the same. So we know they're lying at some level, 100%. But we know also that three of them were shot while they were waving flags that said SOS. They shot two of them. One of them ran away. This is You could read this in the article. As he was hiding, speaking in Hebrew, going, please, I'm Israeli, don't shoot me. 15 minutes go by as they're going, come out, we're not going to shoot you. Okay, this is all reported. And he walks out and two of them shoot the guy dead. I mean, it's just like the, and they go, oh, it was a misunderstanding. Yeah, a 15 minute misunderstanding where he's going, don't shoot me, I'm not Hamas. And then you go, come out, come out, we know you're not Hamas and you shoot him anyway. Oops. It's just so disgusting. They're shooting their own people. Oh my God, look at this. They put a war. I, this is perfect. Okay, so here's what I said. Killed by IDF bombings, IDF shootings, and IDF use of poison gas, flooding tunnels. And they put a warning on it. Maybe sensitive content. Really? What's sensitive about it? There's no gross images. It's just words. You know what it is. These are corporate media platforms. And these are provable stories. The mother of this person spoke up. Her son was killed by poison gas. It was even responded to by the IDF. And this is the BBC, and we know this happened. I just think, how crazy is that? There you go. Thanks, Elon. Saving free speech, right? Uh, we also have the example here. The White House, this one was on the 31st. The White House reports negotiators outline a framework for the release of 35 Israeli hostages held by Hamas. Now, this was a deal that wasn't necessarily accepted, but it was being put forward. The deal included a six-week ceasefire and the release of Palestinian detainees, but the Israeli officials rejected it again. Now, you could argue it wasn't a good deal, but the point is the same. There was a deal for hostages, but they didn't like the deal for, and even, this is wild, it's not like there was a, in you know, one deal Hamas was offered. They're offering the full exchange, which they don't want. So they offer a deal that's actually a fair deal between them for a longer period of time and more hostages. They say no as well. So there's two different variations of the same thing that they say no for, to keep bombing at the place where those same people are probably hiding. Couldn't get more simple than that. February 7th, Netanyahu rejects the ceasefire proposal, insists on total victory over Hamas, but the Elon levies of the world come out and say that Hamas just won't let us do it. Well, in the meantime, as they make sure that their hostages stay there where they're probably going to get killed, a la Hannibal Directive, well... The Mossad and, and their intelligence apparatus are supporting and facilitating the blocking of aid. Which again, I've showed you, they literally promoted it. Hamas said, thank you for coming out. Or excuse me, Hamasad, probably the same thing, came out and said, thank you for blocking the aid. They literally said that. So Middle East Monitor shows you Israelis are now dancing. Look at that. They're out here dancing while blocking aid to starving children. Hooray! Good times. Let's dance around while we're starving children to death. Sounds like a good time, right? Well, my point was, well, take, take a look at these hashtag dancing Israelis, blocking aid from starving children and Israeli hostages alike. 
So first point is, do they really not understand that they're starving their own people by doing this? Or do they not care? Only two choices that I see. And then I said, speaking of dancing Israelis, obviously, make sure you check out this link. James Corbett has some really great work around the 9-11 reality of what this story is. If you haven't seen it, I won't even go into it. Make sure you watch it. It's very powerful. And the full documentary, actually, about the suspects of 9-11. But Elon Levy again saying, I must demand a factual correction. Israel isn't allowing limited supplies of food, water, and medicine into Gaza. He literally says, there are no restrictions on the amount of food, water, and medicine that can enter Gaza, which is a blatant lie, according to everybody but Israel, even the United States. But he goes, in fact, there's excess capacity at the crossings. These people are so slimy, man. So my, my, what, the way I take that, because first of all, everybody, I mean, literally everybody, the United Nations, the United States, Egypt, have all been like, Israel is, is purposefully holding this up, not letting it through, imposing all sorts of random checks that change every 10 seconds. So it just, it never happens. They're, and it's provable. I just, it's just so embarrassing how we get to the point to where even their allies are like, yeah, you gotta let it go through. And then he just gets up and just states the lie. Now, if we're talking about, it doesn't even matter. The point is that obviously we're, I mean, people have a right to lie. That's free speech. But what's hilarious about it right now is that people lying against them are not allowed on this platform, but people lying for their narrative are. They both should be allowed. That's free speech. The point is, he's lying. It's a provable fact. Egypt was screaming about it. So too is everybody else involved. But here's what he says at the end. The crossings. Well, there's some level of manipulative truth. That's why I said it was slimy. They are holding up the crossings. In many cases, they're just backed up as far as you can see right up into the crossing. So maybe there's an excess capacity being backed up and held to the crossing that you don't let into Gaza, but it's sure as hell not making it to Gaza because people are literally starving to death. And there are journalists on the ground. There are people that are showing what's going on. So to him to argue there's no restrictions is either to try to make you think that somebody else is stopping it, which is what they pretended in the beginning, which is proven to be a lie. Jake, uh, Matt Miller was made to look the fool when he tried to toe their line, but Sana said, was like, wait, it was Hamas or, or was it that Hamas wasn't there? Oops. Either way, think about how gross that is. As you're starving people to death, you're acting like you're letting it come through at unfettered access. Well, the United Nations speaks up and says, all children living in Gaza have lost their childhood. They are traumatized and will live forever or will forever live with a permanent impact on their mental health. Now, here's what's crazy to me about this. To state this, to take this from his perspective as by not mentioning is, any Israeli children or whatever else is an insult, it just shows you the mindset that one, you're, old, you're not allowed to care about these people in their own setting. You're not allowed. If you care about them, it means by default that you don't care about us because that's the mindset, which is not true, by the way. Every single one of the people, including the UN, has gone out of their way to highlight and discuss what happened on October 7th. That was four months ago. So yeah, they have many, 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 many times. So now after four months of nonstop genocide and 14,000 children killed, she speaks up in February 10th and says, hey, children have lost their lives here. Children have lost their childhood. 
He's thrown, he responds by saying, this is Arsene Otrovsky, anything about the Israeli children still being held hostage in Gaza? Well, one thing, Arsene, they're still alive. <laughs> That's one thing. Or those who were maimed, murdered, and saw their parents executed. So he goes right back to the atrocity propaganda, which has been proven to be false. There was only one child we're talking about in the context of what happened in the killings and the murder and the October 7th. That's already been discussed. So the idea of how many children are held hostage, I haven't confirmed that. I still don't know what we really are dealing with and how many lies have been told about who was even taken. Think about that, first of all. How many lies we were actually told. I don't know the validity of what's really going on. When it goes from 40 beheaded babies to what we're being told here, it's kind of hard to take it at face value. But I've seen examples of children that have already come back. So it's certainly possible. The idea, though, is to say that they were maimed, murdered, and saw their parents executed. Well, most of the people that we're talking about in that regard were either people that they said were maimed and murdered that turned out they lied about it, did it themselves, or basically executed people to argue, to execute Hannibal Directive. That's not to say that Hamas didn't kill people themselves, but we have to blend those together so we don't just know by default because that happened that we know it was them. It could have been either. That's the point. But for him to jump in and say that, like, for instance, if someone stands up right now and says, we should care about the families of October 7th, do Palestinians rise up and go, I didn't hear you say anything about the power. And maybe in some cases, but the point is that these things exist. They exist overlapping each other and they exist independently. But is from the Israeli perspective of the government, you're not allowed to do that. That's what I've been saying from the day one. If you stand up and say, I am even both. If I stand up right now and I say, children have lost their childhood in Gaza and people died on October 7th and people should be held accountable for that. The point is you'll be attacked to drive it back to only one side. Well, they support Hamas and blah, blah, blah. Makes me sick. Obviously, she's pointing out something that is true. It doesn't make it any less true because he wants you to point at something that happened four months ago too. APAC speaks up and says, this war ends today if Hamas surrenders and frees the hostage, which again, sure. Okay, please surrender. Didn't happen. Okay, well, what are you asking for when you keep saying this? And this is what people are starting to pick up on. Whose responsibility is this? Why is it everybody else's focal point? Like, you should be calling for Hamas to surrender. Okay, why do, as an American, do does me speaking into the, into the world, it, it doesn't make any sense. We all want this to stop. Does that mean they surrender? We'll stop the killing? Good, do that. They're not listening to us, okay? So the argument that somehow this just keeps going until we somehow convince them to surrender, they have already offered to back down to release the hostages if you'll just do the same, which again, you could just go right back to doing the next day after the hostage exchange, which is what they're going to do anyway. It shows you they don't really want these people back, or at the very least, they want this to keep going more than they want them back. But my point's the same with this. Okay, so Hamas surrenders, hypothetically. They're done. All 30,000, they step down, they get arrested. Okay, now what? Well, there's 100,000 Palestinian Islamic Jihad. There's a, a smattering of other resistance groups with multiple, you know, thousands of people here and there who are all going to keep fighting for the resistance of the, Pal for the freedom of the Palestinian people. So are we pretending that just doesn't matter? They're just going to go right back to letting people do? No, they will have to be dealt with in the minds of Israel because it's the same thing. So they're lying to you. When APAC says, Hamas surrenders an incident, no, it doesn't. Because they will keep going. First of all, obviously, it's about all of Palestine. But they, why would the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which, by the way, some of peop, some came through on October 7th to their own statements. So why then is it only about Hamas? It's just a narrative control, guys. 
Do you really believe that if all Hamas surrendered, they would just stop what they're doing? What about all the conferences about settlements? What about the planning and the money allotted? Right? What about every other thing we've talked about? The verified plan that was leaked from WikiLeaks, or rather, that they confirmed. That's all fake? I mean, it's just, it's a special kind of stupid right now to pretend like the only thing that's true is what they're telling you when, I mean, every other data point anywhere suggests there's more to the story or really that they're lying. Now, Robert wrote about this on the 13th, and this has to do with Rafa. It's an important story. As he titled, The Super Bowl Massacre, Israel's invasion of Rafa will be catastrophic. And it already has been, because this is the beginning of it, ultimately. Now, read the article. There's a lot in here, but I want to just read a few parts about this. Before we even get in to the idea of the hostages being rescued and other things that have been stated that are arguable, or at least suspect. Now, it says, on Monday morning, during their terror bombing of civilian targets in Rafa, the Israeli military announced that they had finally succeeded in freeing two Israeli prisoners. We'll get into that in a minute about the discrepancy and the dates and so on. It says, it was revealed that two low-value elderly men who were allegedly being held captive in southern Gaza were extracted in the special forces operation. That was the story, anyway. Well, this is while Israel claimed it had been... uh, The point was this is while they were bombing Rafa. While Israel claimed it had killed three gunmen that were accompanying the elderly men, Hamas has downplayed the operation and reports have indicated that the two were being accompanied by a civilian family. Interesting. So that would mean that the civilian family were killed. It says, in this circumstance, it is extremely difficult to tell what happened, what exactly transpired, as the Israeli narrative appears to have holes in it, shocking, which were only exacerbated following the release of heavily edited footage, as usual, from the operation. However, the important point is as follows. This is the single largest military achievement that Israel has managed to pull off in around five months of combat, releasing two elderly captives who were not in a tunnel and clearly low value. That is, if they were even actually rescued, as opposed to just coming across them in the open, which is what seems to have happened. They, of course, they're not going to lose the opportunity to act like they had some guns blazing savior campaign when they just accidentally bumped into him in the street, right? And then killed the civilians he was walking with. It says another element to this is that an owl at the, at the, at the refugee camp was a designated safe zone, which is not surprising. This safe zone, like this is a designated safe zone that they bombed, that this was carried out at by the Israeli military, where the Israeli Air Force bombed civilian tents. That's the one, some of the, most of the images you're seeing during its special forces raid. Meanwhile, Hamas announced that three other Israeli captives were killed during the airstrikes committed against Rafa that same night. So Israel essentially admits that they killed their own, <coughs> excuse me, their own hostages, which is exactly my point. The excuse for the massacre that they committed in Rafa against civilians was that it was a distraction from their operation to free the two elderly men, which might not even be the reality, but this is what they spun up. This might be what they spun up, but this is what they're telling us, which means that they essentially admitted that murdering a majority of women and children, refugees, was a, a sound, logical price to pay for extracting two Israeli men that might have been released through a prisoner exchange anyway. I mean, really take a second to wrap around 
how grotesque that is, how despicable that is, that they would admit, this, because they did, this, this, it was a distraction. So they bombed the, all the gore you're seeing and all the, the children hanging from the buildings that they bombed, they said it was a distraction, which apparently killed three of their own hostages anyway, to rescue these two old other hostages. Who, by the way, all of which could have been freed last week should they have accepted the deal. That's pretty dark. It says the reason that an all-out invasion of Rafa will prove to be a disaster in every way is down to two primary factors. The number of civilians who are sheltering there and the lack of any plan by the Israeli army. If we track the main phases of the war, we will see that Israel started off by bombing every area throughout Gaza, which is true. According to a report that was released by the Israeli media outlet 972 Magazine, the Israeli military were using their AI, Habsora technology, to produce 100 targets per day and quoted a military source as saying, and we talked about this, quote, we work quickly and there is no time to delve deep into the target, which means they don't know if there are civilians. The view is that we are judged according to how many targets we manage to generate. So if they stop and look, well, they're going to fall behind. So it's set up that they don't even recognize the amount of people they're killing. That's how that works. Many use this investigative article to point out the inhumane nature of the attack on Gaza, which it clearly demonstrates. Yet it also proves something else, that there was no pre-planned targets and that they were quite literally hitting every other AI-generated target based upon whether the target was said to be male or female. When the Israeli army invaded Gaza on the ground, they focused their efforts on northern Gaza and attempted to force the people out. They succeeded to drive hundreds of thousands south into areas they would later bomb and invade anyway. At this stage of Israel, don't realize that means that they either they said that they made sure they were safe, or there's three ways to look at it. They said this is the safe area. So either they were wrong and are bad at their jobs and it wasn't safe, and they found out later and then moved them again, or they made it safe. And then by virtue of, I guess, incompetence, they let it become unsafe again, which is also their fault. Or they didn't care in the first place and it's all lies. And they made them go there and they're going to bomb there anyway. Either way you look at this, it's their responsibility under every possible legal dynamic as the occupying force, as the military forcing them to be displaced into a supposed safe area. They just go, well, that one's now dangerous too. So move. I mean, it's just so grotesque. These people are being pushed, pushed along. It's 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 makes my heart sad, sick. Like truly watching these people trudge along. And by the way, the people that can make it, the ones that are too sick, too too hungry, st- dying of thirst, have an arm cut off with no and no anesthesia, pregnant, disabled, have a bad back, well they get stuck there and they die. That's what happens. Cuz they bomb, guys, they bomb the areas. We don't get to look. That's what that's what they're digging out through the rubble. All the people that just can't make it the 15th time, well, they die. Hey, but they dropped leaflets, guys. (laughs) They did their best, didn't they? Speaks for itself. Now, it says, at this stage, the Israelis' Israelis assault, the Israel's, at this stage of Israel's assault of Gaza, proposals were being floated around, around about the possibility of annexing northern Gaza which still might happen, by the way, as a buffer zone, while Tel Aviv harped on about the Hamas headquarters that they told the world existed under Al-Shifa, which we showed you was a complete manufactured lie. After the Al-Shifa hospital invasion proved that there was no Hamas compound and control center, just like we're now seeing at the headquarters of UNRWA, 
they then shifted into the next phase of their attack. Despite the fact they were embarrassed and the lies were shown, they don't care. They shifted into more murder elsewhere, where they would invade the center and southern areas of Gaza. Israeli media and politicians, including ex-Prime Minister Ehud Olmeret, proclaimed that the real Hamas headquarters was located in Khan Yunus. You know, the place that they, right before that, said was safe, but somehow didn't know the headquarters was there, or they did and didn't care. Same point I was just making. Quite frankly, I don't think it doesn't matter which way you look at it. They want to kill all these people anyway. So they just say that and bomb them, or it was there, and they put them there so they could bomb them. It doesn't really matter. And as Robert writes, lo and behold, Khan Yunus was invaded after that. So too were all the refugee camps in central Gaza, and there was still no Hamas base discovered. Isn't it funny how they keep kicking that can down the road, and all these supposed politicians that are supposed to be fighting for the rules-based international order just ignore that? So it's okay because human shields, but then they invade it, they occupy Mufor. Where was it? Where are all the Hamas members you said were there? Where's the locations they were using? You keep getting caught lying about it. And yet we, I guess, tacitly allow the next genocide. It says, and there's still no base there. During this time, the people of Gaza were encouraged to flee to southern Gaza, Rafa, and set up tents along that border. And now they're bombing that place too. It just gets disgusting. It is disgusting. And on top of that, don't miss the point. Again, they bombed Rafa, which we're going to go through, as they stated as a distraction. To, to, they claimed to rescue these two people, which they might not even actually rescue they, like they claimed they did. Either way, they killed their own people in the process. What, to distract? So even if you remove the three people, they killed a whole bunch of innocent people just to go look over there. We'll rescue these two people. So that means you're willing to kill all these Palestinians, not because human shields, not because Hamas is present, but because we want to murder them to make you look over there so we can rescue these two Israelis that we see as more important than all those lives. There's really no misunderstanding that. That's what, if, you, you know, if you really are eager to see this horrible picture, you'll find it. This is blurred out. Her name was Sidra Hasuna, 12 years old. She was in Rafa. This person writes, the corpse was a child, legs turned to ribbons, hung up on the wall like a coat on a hook. And he's saying the massacre is happening in Rafa right now. It's on the 11th. The footage I've seen tonight is worse of Israel's attacks so far. Body parts strewn on the road, people burned to ash, a shredded corpse hanging on the wall where it had been thrown by a blast. 12-year-old girl. And if you, the picture's out there if you want to see her shredded legs. It's disgusting. Censored voice points out, and this is the point about the Super Bowl, guys. This is always done. Israel does this every time. Every Christmas, every Christmas without fail, they bomb a Christian location. Every single Christmas, usually Syria. I've made this point so many times, and the Christian world is silent. Here we are in the Super Bowl, where they know you're all distracted. And not only that, I'll play the clip next. They played multiple commercials about the hostages they claim they want to protect while bombing and killing them. Like, really wrap your mind around that. They killed three of their own people in this bombing. At the moment they were doing that, they were propagandizing you through the Super Bowl with commercials about those hostages, the ones they were killing, as they told you they were trying to rescue them and spent $17 million to do it or whatever they did. You can't get more despicable than that. Now, here's censored news, censored voice, excuse me. Going, hey, here, here's what happened on the Super Bowl while you were paying attention. Oh, shocking. Twitter deleted the video. Sorry. No censorship here. Free speech land. 
And you know what the video was? A, a, br- a breakdown of the different bombings. Sort of like the background bombing of Rafa, but can't see that, right? It says, while you were just watching the Super Bowl, here's what happened in Rafa. More than 50 airstrikes, 14 homes were targeted, three hospitals, three mosques, bombardment from boats on the seashore, bombing by Apaches and drones, which, by the way, I think um, India sent like 10 killer drones, more than 260 injured, 100 killed so far, and rising, all for a distraction, mind you. A number of killed and missing persons have not yet been reached under the rubble. So, killed their own hostages, hundreds of innocent Palestinians, bombed all of their homes and everything else, and illegally bombed the area just to distract them over here. And that's supposedly within international law. The most moral army in the world. How, how about, I'll tell you this right now. Any, more, any army that has to openly say, I'm the most moral army in the world, is clearly not the most moral army in the world. It's that, we all know this from growing up. Right? Somebody's walking around going, I'm the best there ever is. It's usually not the best there ever is. That's usually how that goes. When you're aggressively saying that, it's usually because you have a guilty conscience. Now, here's Candace Owens. Now, I don't agree with some of the, I think one point at the end, I think, but the point is that here she is saying that what they're doing is wrong. But what they did, and advertising was wrong. Nothing about this is about Jewish people. But Arsene Otrovsky comes in and says, an unhinged Jew hater, who, by the way, is broadcasting on Ben Shapiro's platform, because that makes sense, right? I know they're at odds with each other, but it's like, the point is, she's not a Jew hater. She's pointing out the obvious that Israel's doing and why it's wrong, and you are, I mean, think about that. These people are pretty prominent right now because of what's going on. She doesn't even mention Jewish people, and you call her an unhinged Jew hater because she says what Israel did was wrong? Thank you for making my point, I guess. And so the big reminder, number four, that I want you to walk away with is that we're not allowed to have any entertainment anymore here in America unless it comes with propaganda to remind you to get to work, right, to get to work, because we have a vision of how your tax dollars should be spent overseas. And so it's quite remarkable that Israel, the government that takes billions of dollars from us every year, decided to take not two, but three commercials. Now, the government themselves sponsored two commercials at the Super Bowl. It's crazy. Super Bowl commercials, just so you know, $7 million per an ad. Okay? So that means that the Israel... There's no way that's true. I, I forgot you said that. I, I think that, that... I know that's not... It's not some static number. It's all. It's based on the time... I remember them saying... There's some kind of metric. It's like every so many seconds or whatever. It's like a million dollars... I, so it's weird she would say that. It's not just a static seven. I don't know where that came from, but I know that like, anyway, just, that's that's inaccurate. I think I, I've, I've heard of some that are way more expensive for the longer commercials. But in any case, they spent a lot of money to basically scre- to propagandize you about something you have no control over. Yeah, there's hostages, which is sad. It really is sad. But okay, what am I going to, what am I supposed to do about that? The point is you, Israel, instead of spending all this money to propagandize us about why you're the victim, could be saving them right now. You could have done it 15 times by now. You chose to say no over and over and over. That's the reality. Israeli government spent $14 million for a primetime spot. Their commercials were basically them saying that there are hostages and they intend to get the hostages and bring the dads home that are being held by Hamas. Now, of course, why would this premiere during the Super Bowl? There's nothing that we as the American people can do about that hostage effort over there. 
So what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to pull at your heartstrings and make you not ask any questions about what they're doing overseas. And actually, last night, in case you're wondering, while the Super Bowl was on, Netanyahu bombed a refugee camp. But don't ask any questions about that. You need to get to work and feel bad and have your heartstrings pulled to justify every war that's happening overseas that you're largely probably ignorant of what's happening overseas. And another NGO ran a third ad that was pro-Israel. And this time they just told you that you need to tell your reps to send more money. Take a listen. And of course, it's Michael Rappaport. This guy is just like a ridiculous blind. My gut would tell me that he thinks he's supporting Israel, but he's supporting Zionism and doesn't even realize it. Or he's part of it. Who knows? But it's just so aggressive. This guy is ridiculous. He's become quite the clown in this conversation and the way he responds to people. And it's always the same conversation, right? You know, you're, you're racist. The same kind of point. Lifeshifter.com lets you automatically contact your local reps and demand the release of all the hostages. Okay. <laughs> Again, what does that have? Tell me what that does. Like, actually take a second. Okay, so I demand you release hostages. Okay. Are we pretending that's not what they're already doing? That all these politicians are blindly in line supporting Israel's goal? Like, it's just ridiculous. It's it's about it's about putting you in the right position. It's about forcing you into thinking the right thing is that you're supposed to support whatever they do. Keep murdering children because hostages, even though they refuse to bring them home when they're offered. You think he knows this? How embarrassing for you, Michael, that you don't understand that they keep refusing the hostages. You keep pretending that we're supposed to demand to bring home. Well, they offered over and over and over, and they keep going, no, 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 we want a better deal. So why exactly would we demand that our people ask for something they keep refusing? You see how uninformed people are? Or he knows that, which makes him a bad person and doesn't care? Uh, you decide for yourself. But download the app that, I guess, helps you scream at your politicians about one thing that helps Israel. That makes, they've got an app for it, apparently. Now, it's a real app. Not only will it change lives, it will save lives. So you, how is that going to save lives? I mean, you, you, you could, there's a, an endless amount of things that you could do right now that would actually at least help in saving lives. That is not one of them. That is meaningless. And, and, and it's about propaganda. Like, even if you have a politician who doesn't agree with that by using the app to go, I demand they come home. What do you think he can or she can do about it? What do you think they're going to do? March over to Gaza and go, Hamas, surrender. I mean, just, it's just, it's childish what this is. This is how dumb they think we are. Use the app. Don't use the app. I don't give a f Let's bring them home now. Lifeshifter.com. Looking around, still pretty sure I live in America, so I am not really sure this reads to me like Zelensky at the Grammys, Zelensky on Vanity Fair, Zelensky right. asking to be invited to the Oscars so he can make a speech. It is telling us that, we, again, we need to care about something overseas. Why? Right. Overall point. You know, it's it's Zelensky speaking. It's the same kind of thing. Like they just these are, these are foreign and it's like Netanyahu, by the way, speaking in front of Congress. Right? It doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense until you understand what's really going on. But of course, she's apparently an unhinged Jew hater because she calls out the fact that you're propagandizing Americans for Israeli interests. Now, what does that have to do with Jews? It's only the way you frame the conversation that you can't ever even discuss Israel without that being synonymous with just Jews as a whole. How in the world does that even logically make sense in any other context, especially when there are entire massive groups of Jews who don't agree with Israel, who openly say Zionism is not Judaism. So you can't keep claiming everything in the world that is Israel is Jewish when ultimately that's not what even all of the Jewish community thinks.
And quite frankly, I think that is a rapidly changing dynamic in a good way. I think people are speaking up more and more. That's why, yet again, desperation. So here is Palestine Online showing you just a quick overview of how horrible this was. This is, this is the area, the refugee camp, where people were already displaced, right? Millions of people were literally displaced here because they were already pushed for, I don't know, in their life, probably the fourth or fifth time after they've built up again, destroyed again, and moved along and shuffled out of the way before they can even grab what's theirs, displaced from their families, losing touch. That's, again, even if they're able to walk, able to get up. Maybe they're dying of starvation or hunger. Maybe they lost an arm. Maybe they're in a wheelchair. Maybe they're pregnant. These are, this is 2.5 million people. They obviously have all of those things. Apparently, there's a child being born every, so many times every day right now in what you're looking at. And this was, again, a distraction. Destroyed in a blink of an eye all of these lives, all these people's lives, so you could distract them. Distract who exactly? I mean, it's, it's just a lie as far as I'm concerned. This is just murder. This is blatant murder. And by, let's not forget, they killed three of their own hostages here. They said that. And that was okay. So killing three to save two, even though all of them might have come home if you just did the deal, they don't want these people home. Quite frankly, I think the two they claim they save, we'll get to in a second. I think there's more to that story. I think that they bombed this because they were killing these people and the two they saved just happened to be a narrative control. Now, let's, let's not forget, I don't, this is my opinion, but I, not everybody in the IDF is all part of the same mindset. There are average people that just end up in these positions that, you know, probably like any other military, aren't going to buck the system, right? They're not going to speak up and say, I think we shouldn't kill those people when everybody around you is like aggressively pro that or however you want to look at it. Like the same thing in the military, right? In the U.S. military, there's examples of that where people end up saying something and they get kind of chastised, even, even what's the word for it? Hazed, you know, red-coated <laughs> for the movie. Because they don't go along with what they're supposed to. Like, my point is, there's plenty of people in the IDF that I don't think are just murderous towards every Palestinian. But the problem is mo that people, like, well, I guess the reason I said that is because it's, what What if they, were, those are the people that bumped into these two hostages and, and they brought them home instead of killing them, like they maybe otherwise were told to. And then all of a sudden, now we have to manufacture a narrative of why these people came home and we're trying to handle directive all of them. <clears throat> Zach writes, Gazan sought refuge in Rafa. <clears throat> Because they were told to go there. The final safe zone, as they were told, by the way, because there's nowhere else to go after that. And after enduring multiple other displacements, now this is on the 10th. He says today, Rafa stands as the world's largest refugee camp, housing 1.5 million people. 1.5 million people of the entire population are in this one refugee camp. That's just incredible. The point is, the next day, they bombed this place. Look at that. That became that. So they could pretend to save people. How many Hamas died? None, I guess. I mean, guys, you just can't misunderstand that. And I'll include this again. New York Times investigation, Haaretz... They're bombing the, the using the most destructive bombs in the in the safe areas designated as safe because you know that's why that becomes that. They're choosing to do that. That's not pinpoint targeting anything. Sir Chilibean points out very informative video so you can understand the situation of Rafa, which was named a safe area. And it, it's a good video breaking this down. 
129 of Israel's war on Gaza. And throughout that campaign, Israel has pushed all 2.2 million people of Gaza into smaller and smaller spaces, making them homeless, crowding them over and over again, starving them by restricting food and then bombing them. So here is a map of the Gaza Strip. Here is northern Gaza, where leaflets rain from the sky on October 13th, telling them to move south. More than 1.1 million Palestinians had 24 hours to leave this part of Gaza using the two safe routes laid out by Israel. Yet on the same day, 70 Palestinians using these safe roads were killed by Israeli warplanes. Over and over and over. And I mean, even corporate journalists, BBC was an example. I think one was CNN. People that were out there are literally watching and catching in real time as they assassinate people right in front of them. Can you imagine the kind of impunity you think they have when they're just shooting people waving white flags right in front of CNN, for crying out loud, and then they actually point it out? It's it's mind-blowing. But the point is, these are people walking down the safe area. They're not even telling you, oh, it's Hamas, that we're secretly in there. They're just shooting people dead in the street. No one's even reporting it. It's, it's just no way to, this is exactly what it looks like. Israel also continued to bomb areas outside of this evacuation zone. Despite Gazans moving to this new safe zone, Israel bombed al Burij refugee camp on several occasions in October and early November. So now, Gazan residents needed to move from this area to here or further south. Then on November 15, Israel dropped hundreds of leaflets in selected neighbourhoods, telling the residents of Khen Yunus that they need to move further south. December 1st, more leaflets fell on Khen Yunus. They were told to immediately evacuate to shelters in Rafah, as Khen Yunus was considered a dangerous combat zone. Then on January 3rd, a Nusayrat camp in the middle of Gaza, which was originally a safe zone, was also ordered to evacuate. Now, I proved this, and this is based on their own reporting. Like you're showing different corporate media articles. You can prove that when they dropped leaflets in Khan Yunus to say go to Rafa, they had already begun bombing areas in Rafa. And just, this is the cowardice of even the corporate media that seems to be, for some reason, talking about some of this. If I can put, you know, just juxtapose these articles next to each other and be like, well, there's the timing on this. They're dropping leaflets. And it was the time, this is the day it happened. And later that day, they bombed Rafa. Somebody else must have put that together. It's, they, that's, you don't need any more evidence than that. You, it's not a safe zone. And if they're on the way there and you're already bombing there, and that's the reality of the whole situation. They're bombing everywhere, whenever they want, all the time, and just pretending there are safe zones. Bearing in mind that civilians evacuating here would now have to travel through heavily bombed areas and were guaranteed no safety. Right. You- and that's a good point. I'm going to go back a second so you don't miss that. What she's saying is that, you know, you're basically by the way that, you know, because you can't see this stuff in your mind if you, unless you've got a map in front of you. The way they put this together is they moved them to one direction and then said they had to move over here, but they would have had to cross back through other dangerous areas. And they know that. And so they're all getting shot as they go back through there because that's probably by design. They need to move the evacuate to shelters in Rafa as Khen Yunus was considered a dangerous combat zone. Then on January 3rd, a Nusayrat camp in the middle of Gaza, which was originally a safe zone, was also ordered to evacuate. Bearing in mind that civilians evacuating here would now have to travel through heavily bombed areas and were guaranteed no safety. As you can see at this point, there was only one safe zone left in Gaza, Rafah. Which brings us to February 12th. 
In the early morning, Israel began heavily bombing Rafah, and at least 67 people were killed. Now realize this is after they bombed on the Super Bowl, right? So they bomb a refugee camp. And I already told you what we're talking about there. With people they killed, the extraction, the, the hostage situation, we'll get you back in a second. And then the next day, went on to continue bombing Rafah. So where, where is the safe zone at this point? Oops. <laughs> That's pretty obvious. There is no safe zone. There's nowhere they can go back to because everywhere behind them is, is being bombed and shot. And even the IDF more than once has said, don't come back north, we'll shoot you. Verbatim. And now they bomb the area they're supposed to be safe in. I think you already know where this is going. I've been saying this the whole time. It's about manufacturing the outrage that instead of being directed at Israel for doing it, they argue, well, we know Israel's going to do it, so we have to just move them into Egypt. Because that's the right thing to do. No, it's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is stop them from being murdered. Not displaced as opposed to murdered. They don't want either of them. Rafah is the last safe zone in Gaza where approximately 1.4 million Palestinians are huddling for safety in makeshift tents. Later that day, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu ordered the military to prepare to evacuate civilians from the southern Gazan city of Rafah. But where will they go? And they don't want to leave. This argument keeps being put forward like it's somehow that not their choice. Every time they do this, you're displacing millions, thousands, hundreds of thousands at least people, and that is a crime. It, it's just, it's not humane in any way, shape, or form. And they, I honestly, I think they relish in that. You're, you're torturing these people before you ultimately kill them. That's how I look at this. I, you know, you may think that sounds extreme, but if you've been, I mean, if you've been watching this, even just since October 7th forward, I don't know how you don't see this by now. How many examples we have of just immense hatred and vitriol and sinister actions designed to maximize the suffering of people who are already suffering. And again, I've made it clear that is not everybody. That's not every Jew or every Israeli or even every IDF member, but it's very provably clear that it is completely throughout the leadership and plenty of people they influence. So here's Elon Levy, one of the you know worst of the worst in this conversation who was just gaslighting for every lie they put out. Well, he has an answer for you, right? So we're asking a simple question. Okay, so you push them to Rafa. So you, but now you go, we're gonna have to evacuate them. Well, there's this weird dark, you know, blind spot in this. Where? And there's every which way we go off in these different narratives. Okay, where are they going to go this time? <laughs> it's, it's you know, he's, he's got an answer for you, though. Let's, let's listen to what he has to say. Civilians to get out of the way where Hamas is. And where would they go? Well, well, that is why instead of going in all guns are blazing, the prime minister has ordered the army to do exactly what you would expect a mm. professional law-abiding army to do. So what is the plan to evacuate those civilians? Oh, and obviously this is like a, somebody made this, a juxtaposition of a bunch of different examples of this. It's more of a, a joke, but it's, it's, it is ultimately what he's doing. It's because you told uh, many people to leave uh, the north of the Gaza Strip and move south to shelter in places like Rafa. You're now telling them to leave Rafa. Uh, where are they going to go? What's the plan there? You're right. That's an astute observation. Before Israel began the ground offensive in the northern Gaza Strip, we gave several weeks warning no for civilians to be able to evacuate. There's about a million people, uh, it's been estimated, who are sheltering in Rafah now. Uh, how long are you going to give them to leave? Uh, and where are they going to go? You still haven't explained where they're going to go, given that uh, <laughs> much of uh, Gaza now is flattened. 
And that is part of the plan, that the Israeli army will have to present the prime minister because we take our obligations under international law to keep civilians protected very seriously. But do you not have an idea of where they're going to go? I'm still waiting to hear where in Gaza they're going to go. Well, there are open spaces in Gaza. There are places where it is possible to set up tent encampments. Oh, my God. Well, do whatever you want. Apparently, there's open spaces anywhere. Set up a tent. Except if you go there, we'll shoot you. If you go this way, we'll kill you. If you go there, you'll get bombed. But, you know, whatever you want. I mean, that, is that really an answer? Where would these people go? Because they're, they're in Rafa, because that's where you told them to go, because that was supposedly a safe area, and now it's not. So where would they go? When this war began, when Hamas launched the October 7 massacre, we made not an answer. So where is safe in Gaza? At the moment, we're advancing on Rafah because Hamas started this war with 24 battalions. We've destroyed 18 of them. There are four still in Rafah. Where would they go? I mean, you know... So if there's four in Rafah, why did you tell them to go to Rafah? Or are you pretending you either didn't know they were there or that they somehow broke through your control structure to go there after you were there protecting them? Oh, but are you not protecting the civilians you claim you're trying to keep safe? It doesn't matter how well you look at this. They're not fulfilling their legal obligations in any way, shape, or form. 60% 60% of the buildings have been destroyed. Infrastructure has been destroyed. Just tell me, from your understanding of the geography of Gaza, where they would go and where would be safe for 1.4 million people. You've asked me the same right. question now four or five times. But you haven't given me an answer, that's why. Yeah. Because the prime minister has ordered the IDF to come up with a plan. For- ah, and there it is. We don't have a plan, but he, he's too childish to admit that when it's obvious. We don't have a plan. So we're already displacing, bombing, murdering, shooting, and everything else. Because go, we'll, we'll evacuate them to a safe place. We haven't figured that out yet, though. So while we're already bombing, we're, we're working through that. But the people fleeing to wherever are getting shot because we're still figuring it out. Like, I can't believe that he thought that would ever fly. Where they should go. I ask you again, because we all know what we're talking about. Where do you think they might be able to find safety in the Gaza Strip when the supposedly safe place has now become a target? Yep, there are open areas in the Gaza Strip, and one option is for UN agencies to work together with us on evacuating civilians to open areas where Hamas can't use them as human shields. Okay, so how does that make sense? So you keep, three times now you've moved them to what was supposedly a safe location, and then your narrative inevitably becomes, but Hamas is there, so we have to move in. So explain for me why this new open UN-included space, which, by the way, you also call Hamas, is not going to be infiltrated by Hamas. Like, yeah, dude, that's pretty damn stupid. But what it shows you is that, as I've said many times throughout my career in this, if you lie about everything, you're eventually going to step in a direction where you have to step on a previous lie. There's no way around it. And that's what he's doing. Okay, so you just told us that Hamas ended up in these safe locations, which means it clearly can happen. But you're going to tell me that the new safe location is not bad because... Hamas isn't there, but you're going to work with the UN group who you openly say is working with Hamas to make sure that it doesn't happen. Is that the reality there, bud? I don't think you thought that through. Like where? I'll remind you, at the beginning of the war, we designated the al Mawasi zone in southwestern yeah. Gaza, for example. Oh, did you now? Yeah, you, 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 mean, you mean this one? This one here that uh, looks like on a month ago, 16 killed in Israeli strike on Gaza's al Mawasi. Yeah, oh, that one. That's what he meant. Oh, this one, too. Here's one from January 30th, so all the way forward. An Israeli airstrike hit a compound in Gaza housing. Doctors working for the UK, in fact, in, wait for it, town of Al-Mawasi. Right, so, okay, so 
where are the other people in the world that are supposed to be calling out these lies? Where are the other supposed journalists, corporate or otherwise? Why doesn't this stuff get called out on a large scale? It's pretty crazy, isn't it? areas in the Gaza Strip, and one option is for UN agencies to work together with us on evacuating civilians to open areas where Hamas can't use them as human shields. Like where? I'll remind you, at the beginning of the war, we designated the Al-Mawasi zone in southwestern yeah. Gaza, for example. Yeah, I showed you right in early, the beginning they were bombing, at the end they're bombing. So that's ridiculous. As a safe zone. Unfortunately, the beginning of this war have been urging Palestinians to move to other areas inside the Gaza Strip where Hamas has not been using But they keep doing that. They keep getting bombed in those areas. That's what I said half an hour ago. Anyway, listen, I think we've run out of time. That's ridiculous, right? Even corporate media is finding it hard to toe these lines. It's really bad. Now, he was speaking about the plan, right? Now, he actually admitted in insult in a you know i don't think a deliberate way that they don't have a plan well here is another awkward example of an israeli spokesperson having to admit they don't have a plan which by the way doesn't need to be this to be a war crime very clearly makes that a war crime but it already was a war crime it's already obvious genocide but the point is with what they're doing it becomes even more obviously a war crime to have no plan as you displace millions of people and bomb their location before there is a clear plan for them to evacuate, for them to find a safer place. But they're basically up against the fence um, uh, with Egypt. There's nowhere else for them to go unless they start to move north again. But you do understand that if we leave it like that, Hamas will still be there. They still have the capabilities to harm us. And they are being... This is a separate question. You're saying that there are places for them to go. I'm asking you where that is. I'm saying that there will be a plan for them to go. It can be maybe going back up north where places are safer, but we will not do anything uh, that will harm civilians on purpose. We are not trying to target civilians at all. On the opposite, we're trying to do everything we can in order... You can keep saying that all you like. Uh, ...to avoid civilian casualties. And, you know, maybe she even believes that. Here's another example of a new random spokesperson. What happened to the other 14 that you shuffled in front of us? I guess they're, they all got exposed as really bad liars. We'll see if she does any better. Obviously. You just admitted very clearly we don't have a plan. So here's what's crazy. She's saying this at a time. She's making this seem as if we're still working this out. We got to figure out where they're going to go before we... You're already bombing them. You bombed them at the Super Bowl. You're bombing them continuously. You're shooting... You are already doing this. And you don't have a plan. And and the media, they, as you saw Elon Levy embarrassingly try to shuffle around, they try to pretend they do. But when really pushed, ah, well, we told you we have a plan. They don't know what they're going to do, but they want you to think that because, quite frankly, I think the plan is to kill them all. I don't know why we don't see that by now. So they don't know. They're lying about it. Here's Biden telling you that it's their operation, which, by the way, we should already know. I'm sure you could call it a gaffe all you want. This is the obvious provable reality, even if he didn't mean it that way. I said yesterday our military operation in Rafa, the major military operation in Rafa, Oops. should not proceed without a credible plan, a credible plan for ensuring the safety and support of more than one million people sheltering there. Well, yeah, that's just a ridiculous sidestep. The point being is that if, if you're saying without a credible plan, well, they're going to go, well, here's our plan. That's all you need. For, oh, okay. That's credible. They said so. Well, they keep doing that. Their plans don't even end up being what they do. And their plans are usually lies and misrepresentations. 
Bottom line, you said our operation, which is the reality, because there are generals on the ground. Axios made that clear. There is very obvious overlap, and there are boots on the ground. There are U.S. military men on the ground, same like there are from, I think, France and a couple of locations. They've all been shown on different examples. We just don't state that, so we all kind of pretend like it's not real, but it's obvious, just like we see in every other military field they're involved in and don't want you to know that is there. But on top of that, that, well, they need a plan. Well, that's exactly what you just heard. They don't have a plan, and it's already happening. So I guess Biden just is all a bunch of non... We know that already. My point is to say simply that he just says that, and there's not no, no teeth behind it. It's not actually going to go anywhere because these people are all a bunch of liars. Freddie Pontone points out South Africa, and I, th- this is a lot developing here. I'm not going to get into it deep yet because I don't, haven't seen it fully develop, but apparently they're being urgently requested to consider further actions here because obviously israel's not abiding by the provisional rulings which we all knew would happen but i'll leave it there you can read through this different thread i'm hoping more comes of this but i'm I'm basically they're calling for something with more teeth whether it be sanctions or something really all we need is the u.s government to stop funding the bad things happening in the world immediately ukraine israel immediately stop if the united states stop blindly funding them for the tunes of tens of billions of dollars here's an update from 12th Biden called Netanyahu an a-hole in private amid frustration. Now, I don't know if this is real or not. Who knows what they're trying to manipulate you into thinking. But what I think is interesting is at the bottom, it says the U.S. president reportedly also says he's trying to get Israel to agree to a ceasefire with Hamas, which we kind of know. Everyone everywhere with a brain sees this as needs to go this direction. But he says Biden, the report says, thinks that Netanyahu wants to extend the war to stay in power. <laughs> don't you love that? It's this Times of Israel. Times of Israel's written about this four times that I know of, Haaretz as well, that more than once Netanyahu has used Palestinian lives for political gain, bombing them under random guise to, to gain himself political clout. They've written about this. It's a common understanding in their political sphere that Netanyahu will bomb Gaza to get some kind of political momentum going. And here he is literally saying, even though they're going, well, he didn't say it, but that's what the report says he means. We all know this. Netanyahu wants to extend this to stay in power. It's a it's common understanding, and yet it's quietly stated in Times of Israel, and we can't acknowledge this in the reality. You're literally murdering children every day so you don't lose power, and even Biden seems to want to say it. I mean, my God, I get so grossed out by the political games we play that we all seem to acknowledge this, even people that are hiding from it, and just stick your head in the sand. Another child just died. Well, the child just starved to death. But yeah, let's let's wait until you guys can politically work it out. Aaron Mate points out the political confirms that Biden's admin is, of course, lying about opposing a Rafa invasion, which is, you know, they're this is my point. They're trying to win back some clout. They know that they're losing everything by supporting the most obvious genocide we've ever seen. And so they're trying to kind of walk that line. They know they're getting pushed back from the Israeli side, but they're going, you know, quietly, don't worry, we're going to support you. But publicly coming out and saying, well, we think it's too tar over the top, which doesn't make them happy. But actions are what matter. They say that and then they keep funding them. Right? They act like they oppose a Rafa, you know, Rafa without a plan and then blindly support what they're doing. It says the Biden administration is not planning to punish Israel if it launches a military campaign in Rafah, which might be happening right now for all I know. I guarantee you something's going to happen because Israel is telling you that, and they don't seem to be swayed by anything other than their genocidal agenda. Three U.S. officials, U.S. officials say no reprimands are planned. 
So they're allowing them tacitly by funding them, by not doing anything about it, genocide. I'm telling you right now, there, there is everything you need legally to make the case for both specifically Blinken and Biden going to prison as complicit for genocide. Now, here is a, a, an important journalist you should be covering or following. Bison Oda, I believe you might pronounce that, has been a younger journalist that's taken up in Gaza. And she's been covering this for a while now. And it really, as I remember, it started with her kind of just being overwhelmed. It's kind of like a breakdown video on the street where just no, you know, and, and, and instead of just breaking down like many would, she persevered and decided to make something of this. And there's also another story which kind of kind of sad about because I feel like she's going to be hurt. But there's a really young girl who's being kind of praised by Al Jazeera and different groups, which we should. She's like, she looks like she's like nine years old. She picked up an old press gear from a dead journalist and she's been going around and doing stuff. It just makes me terrified that she's going to be hurt and then it's going to make me sick. This is somebody who is older, but is also young, who has just, you know, instead of breaking, right? Most people, pe that's the important thing for most human beings. When pushed to the limit, some people break, some people bend, adapt, right? And that's the real thing is a lot of people, I and mean, that's like the deciding factor for most people, whether it comes to war or, you know, when you're in a situation, when there's a hostage situation, you know, he knows how they're going to react until it's happening. Most people aren't don't have the the gum the you know the gumption the the constitution to actually do something. And quite frankly, who knows? And none of us really know until we actually end up there. So it's just it takes a, it's worth praising that in the middle of a war zone where she knows the people doing what she's doing are being killed, that she decides to take that up. I mean, God, that deserves something special. Oh, we're told that Rafah is safe. But it was a really hard night in Rafah. Rafah is under attack. We were evacuated. We were forced to displace the north. Now we are in the south, in extreme of the south in Rafah, and we are under bombing. The, the places are, are very crowded. 1.5 million people are in Rafah. The Israeli airstrikes, um, the Israeli shooting, the Israeli navy strikes killed more than 100 people in less than an hour. They have destroyed 14 homes and three mosques. This is a way of a genocide, actually, killing people while they are trapped and they are besieged. They cannot go to anywhere else. They cannot evacuate to a safer place. There is no way to get any to survive this if Rafah still under attack and under bombing. Well, she deserves your support. I'll tell you that. Sir Chilibean points out Yemen spoke up in response, which, I mean, speaking of courage, I mean, talk, talk, this is pretty incredible too. Yemen, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Sana'a, the, the capital government stated, quote, the aggression on Rafa, in particular, out of everything happening in Gaza, means escalating the military scene to higher and more painful levels, levels for Tel Aviv. They're speaking as in their response. We renew our warning to the Zionist entity of a significant escalation in the Yemeni response to the attacks on Rafah, which quite frankly is probably only going to drive Israel even more because they, I would argue, want that. The moment Yemen bombs Tel Aviv, they're going to, you know, you know what's going to happen, but it's going to be hard not to at this point. With what you're watching here, it's clear that... Rafa, I mean, from everybody's perspective, Rafa's kind of like become this flashpoint. 
that it's already become one of the worst situations in all that's happened so far since October 7th in Gaza, or really anywhere, including October 7th. I mean, you really want to compare what's happened in Gaza to what's happened October 7th? It's no, it's no comparison. That's not to say that sad things didn't happen and that people were killed, kidnapped, you know, whatever else happened that we should, it's serious, bad things happened. It's, I mean, it's like, I, it's so funny how people hear that what they want to hear. The point should be, obviously, no matter what your narrative, just, even just that, that innocent Israelis suffered, that matters. They're human beings. Not all of them are part of some grand agenda. But the point is, nonetheless, even as much as that matters, that you can't pretend like what has happened after four to five months of nonstop suffering, starvation. I mean, it's just unparalleled. I mean, in any sense. So obviously this is something that isn't, it's just so incredible to me. My point in saying all of that is that after all of that, this one point has become something in particularly, like particularly horrifying. And, and, th and that's what's already happened. And then what they're saying is if they invade this location, because there's nowhere to go, it's going to be the worst of the worst of the situation. And so that's the point. So they're speaking up and going, Look, we renew our warning. If you push in this location, we are going to do something even more. And let's not forget that during the whole Saudi Yemeni, you know, the, the peak of it, the what changed that is that Ye Yemen showed that they had weapons that could reach anywhere in Saudi Arabia, and I argue in Tel Aviv. And I think that changes the dynamic. But if, if they end up bombing it, the U.S. is going to pretend they're at war. I mean, I, I kind of think that's going to spin it out of control, but it wouldn't be Yemen's fault. Right, it would be the one committing genocide. But they spoke up. Jewish voices for peace. It is Jewish voice for peace. That's crazy. Now, am I am I crazier? I thought that was on their shirts. Didn't it say Jewish voices for peace? That's so weird. I feel like I have a Mandela moment right now. <laughs> I, I I was calling it Jewish voice for peace in the beginning, and then I feel like I saw it the other way around. And I've been saying voices. The not that it's that important, but just so apparently it's Jewish voice for peace. It's the group. But this is saying the pent-ultimate step in Israel's march of genocide. So a Jewish organization telling you that what they're doing is a genocide of Palestinians. And, oh, and it, you know, you can read this for yourself. It's the same stuff we're going over. What they're claiming, though, is that this, and what is my point from before, this is, the, the, to use their word, the pent-ultimate step. This is, this is like the, the, the pinnacle of this genocide if they go forward. Ah, it just makes me sad. I mean, I'm just looking at this like, it doesn't look like that anymore. Now, Lord Bewo points out, this is part, well, I'll, I'll let you play. This is from Senator Chris Van Hollen. And before it plays, my point stands with all these people. I don't really believe, I mean, again, it's certainly possible that he means this. But I, I'm jaded, obviously. I, I'm very skeptical. I don't believe that any of these people are actually fighting for your interest. I hope they are. I don't ignore that possibility. I hope for it. And if I see an opportunity to, it, it looks like it might be the case. I don't deny it. I look for it. I want it. But history has proven me right that they rarely actually do things for moral, altruistic reasons. My point in saying that, I believe that the media, the government, Biden, the rest of them, they're going to slowly start walking this back. And you're going to see more and more of the middle rung people like this start to come out with the hard statements like this, because that might propel them into some level of politi pol political clout that can gain them more influence later. And maybe that's even in secret agreement with the elements that are, you know, my point would be that as a hypothetical, you might go and say, hey, Zionist lobby, I'm going to come out really hard against this, but don't worry, I'm going to use this momentum to help your agenda. Or you could 
You don't have to make it about Zionism, make it about any other political topic. And then it becomes far less conspiratorial that a politician might go, I'll come out in support of X, Y, and Z when I don't really think that. So I gain the clout of those people. And then hopefully with your help, I can draw them over to your side. Guys, that's just politics. It's weird that when it becomes about Israel, it becomes a fake story no matter what. It just shows you what's going on. Okay, all that being said, what he says here is correct. And I'm glad it's being called out, even if he's not being honest, which who knows, you can decide for yourself. Last week, Secretary of State Blinken made his fifth trip to Israel, where this time he urged Prime Minister Netanyahu not to launch a major military operation against Rafa. I sw- I'm pretty sure that's been seven. Remember, we just talked about this. Five, seven, still crazy to think about. With everything going on in the world, they're constantly going to Israel. Pompeo is flying to Israel. I mean, October 7th alone is not just to five, five, four, five, four or five months later, this continual visit back. Like, so you visit, you saw, the point is that there's more going on there. And it shows you how much is actually happening there. But I think it's seven visits over a very short period of time. A city in southern Gaza whose population has increased fivefold since the beginning of the war because Palestinian refugees fleeing from northern Gaza and other parts of Gaza were told by the Netanyahu government that Rafah was a safe place for them to go. Within hours of meeting with Secretary Blinken, Prime Minister Netanyahu rebuffed that request and announced publicly that he had decided to launch just such an operation against Rafa. And yesterday, as if to rub it in, Prime Minister Netanyahu appeared on ABC Sunday television here in the United States to say that despite the requests from the United States, he had decided that Israel will launch a military operation against the city of Rafa. Right, they don't care. I mean, that needs to be clear. Netanyahu's bragged about that more than once, that he can get the U.S. to do whatever he wants. And they hear that. Trust me, they hear those statements. They, we saw them, they saw them. And yet it keeps going. So what does he have on them, huh? That, that's a real question to ask. Madam President, this is part of a pattern. A pattern where Prime Minister Netanyahu thanks President Biden in the United States for our substantial military assistance. And, good, and as Orwell rightly points out, and, and I, this was one of the things I was going to get into with the border conversation and the bill, which I'll get into tomorrow. There's a reason I wanted to go over that. This was why the overlap to the, the as people call it, the World War III bill. But I don't think that's going to change dramatically by tomorrow. So I figured I'd put it off until tomorrow. But yeah, I mean, we're talking like $95 billion for everything you can imagine of the sun for Ukraine, Israel, even Taiwan. I mean, it's, it's aggressive. And it's, it's very obvious what they're trying to push for. But the point is, they say all this and then vote to give them more money. But then mostly rejects our request to take measures to protect civilians, and to facilitate desperately needed humanitarian assistance to people in need. And what's crazy is that bill actually includes all this money for humanitarian aid. But guys, it does not go to Palestinians. Like whether the U.S. or they, they, this, there's a lot of aid that has already been allotted and sent by other people. And we keep proving that it just gets sucked there. They, they're not allowing the vast majority of this to actually make it to Palestinians. And I'm talking about the Israeli government. Egypt has been screaming about it. Everybody who has everybody but Israel is making that clear. So when they spend all this money, where do you think it ends up? Not in Palestinian stomachs. President Biden has called the bombings in Gaza, quote, indiscriminate. 
It is. And the United States has repeatedly called upon the Netanyahu government to take steps to end the huge number of civilian deaths from bombing, artillery, and other weaponry. Yeah, think about and this is what I've been saying the entire time. Like, it's so is six months going to be too long? Seven months? Five years? How long can you go? We keep raising that issue with them. And every day it doesn't matter. And they kill more children and they bomb more and, they, and you raise more. We keep talking to them about killing less people. I mean, it, just, it, it was insulting the first day they said that. So you told them to kill less children? Oh, great. Good job. So, the, you know, that's a terrible thing. It should be, how about you don't kill children? How about that? Well, war is tough and we'll, all these ridiculous platitudes. Yeah, war is tough. So don't go to war with people. Like the bottom line is there, you could argue there are valid reasons to end up going to conflict or, you know, waging a war. But the arguments they're putting forward are not valid. And what they're ultimately saying here are that we need to do it this way because there's no other choice because Hamas is going to kill us all. Even though the ones saying those things you point out are the ones you're funding and protecting in Qatar, the group that you've been arming to do this the entire time. But the reality being that you do have other options. There are a thousand other things that could be done other than indiscriminately bombing people using AI, which is what they're ultimately doing and shooting them in the streets when they get the opportunity. The death toll now stands at over 200, excuse me, stands at over 28,000 people, over two-thirds of them women and children. And what does Prime Minister Netanyahu say? He says Israel is already doing all it can. President Biden recently called Israel's actions in Gaza, quote, over the top, unquote. Prime Minister Netanyahu said he didn't know what President Biden was talking about. Every major international aid organization that I've spoken to, and I've spoken to virtually everyone, says that the humanitarian crisis in Gaza is the worst they've seen in the world ever in their decades of experience. Ever. As over 400,000 people are on the verge of starvation, and the entire population of over 200 million is at crisis levels of food insecurity. Meanwhile, Israeli authorities in Gaza, Kogat, say there's, quote, there's no humanitarian crisis in Gaza. See what I mean? That's just insulting. No humanitarian crisis? Like, and that's really what people are saying. I've seen them say that on, on talk shows with their spokespersons, trying to make an argument about how it's not really as bad as you were being lied to. Hamas is framing the. It's just unparalleled. It's unprecedented. I mean, I've never... This is the, the, this is what here's a good thing a way to think about this before October 7th Israel used to be able to say things like this and they would actually hold water or that's not the way to frame that that means that would be ultimately true they would actually hold weight people would go with it doesn't matter how ridiculous it's like saying Palestine never existed or every single one of them are terrorists even though children are born every day right people still went with it it's like now saying there's no humanitarian crisis ignore you know, don't man the mind behind the curtain. I mean, it's just embarrassing. Unquote. The Biden administration has repeatedly urged the Netanyahu government to allow for more humanitarian assistance into Gaza, only to be mostly ignored. So think about that. So here's Elon Levy online going, we're letting it through every day and there's more than they could possibly handle. Well, you're obviously lying because even between Netanyahu and Biden, they're going, please do more. And Netanyahu says, no, we don't need to. Lies, lies on lies. 
The overriding message to the United States from the Netanyahu coalition is this. Thanks for giving us all the weapons. Thanks for your taxpayer support. But don't lecture us about civilian casualties or the need to better facilitate the delivery of humanitarian assistance. Right. So stop arming them. It's very simple. Which, I, if you don't, that either means that you're a, you want the genocide, or there's a reason that you're not able to stop what you don't want to happen. Very simple. Oh, and, and to somebody's posing in, in the chat, I, I actually have gone over this before, and it's not as complicated as you may think, at least in my opinion. But somebody's asking about like why the other, let's just say Egypt, for example, wouldn't want to take in the Palestinian refugees. Now, I don't think it's that simple. My honest, my, my honest opinion here, I, I hate even seeing that, my opinion, which is always honest, <laughs> rather meaning that I'm not lying to you about my opinion, is that, that there's, I think Egypt very clearly, in a normal dynamic, would accept refugees. It has in the past. I, my point would be that this is about not twofold argue, but largely, and there's probably more than that, knowing that should they take these Palestinian refugees, that they're immediately going to take the political brunt of that. And I don't just mean, because that's another part of it, just the general concept of what does happen when you take in a million plus people. It's going to be like, that's the reality of any migration, any immigration, especially weaponized migration, what people are already accusing Israel of right here. There's been an entire article written by some think tank about why this is already weaponized migration. My point, though, is that whether they want to help them or not, you know that there will be politi- uh, just even just economic and, and societal issues that come along with that. Any influx of that size, especially when they're suffering the way they are, I mean, that means the, the medical system and the, Egypt is going to take all of that on. Any country is going to consider that because that's going to be a big, big undertaking. But secondarily, and even more important, I would argue, they know that Israel is going to then see Egypt as that problem now. You have now taken in these Palestinian refugees. All of them are still going to want their territory back. And so however long it's going to, you're, you're going to be perceived as you're, that's the problem now. Egypt is the one supporting the problem that we want to get rid of. They must know that. The world can see that. And, and even aside, anything, of, like, let's just pretend for the third option that let's say Egypt doesn't want them like just because of who they are and so on. Maybe I don't believe that based on many different reasons. It's my personal opinion. I don't know why anybody would know, but even if that was how they felt, it's, it's their right to say no. The only group in any of this that has the legal responsibility, the actual legal responsibility to take care of these people is the occupier. Under every single legal dynamic, they're responsible to keep them safe. They're responsible to not break the, violate their human rights, displace them. And they're also legally responsible to let them return. That is the right of return that they've denied them ever since the, 1948. So all that said, I can't speak to the, the personal dynamics of whether these countries don't want them or not. But this argument that's being made by the extremist Zionist, you know, racist entities are that these people are like Elon uh, or Eli David, you know, suggesting that they're all bad people and that's why nobody wants them in. But then that's my point I made before. So what's your argument that you're trying to protect all the good Palestinians and fight the bad Hamas or that they're all gross and dirty and nobody wants them. So we're going to take care of all. I mean, you can't argue both. The bottom line is there's a lot of people out there that see what Israel's doing and recognize the immense consequences that will come along with any of this. I think that's the most obvious, but I, I think that explains the, the 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 gist of what's going on there. 
but it just is not as simple as that they all know they're all terrorists. I mean, that's just, I mean, a child shouldn't buy that kind of a narrative because it's ridiculous. It is broad stroking. And ultimately, even if you thought that, the legal side of this is still on the side of the Palestinians. It always has been. Now, this is just another politician telling you that what they're doing is wrong, right? That they know it, that Netanyahu doesn't care, that they're trying to tell him you shouldn't kill as many people, and he goes, we don't care about it, and it's going to happen anyway. Here is the uh, for EU foreign policy chief, Joseph Burrell, right? So making the most obvious point in the world. Well, Biden says that it's over the top, and they're killed. Well, maybe you just don't arm them as much. <laughs> Very clearly suggesting like you're speaking to a child, which is kind of how he's doing. And I think intentionally, you know, hey, Biden, if you think it's too much, maybe don't arm them so much. I think that was it. How many yeah. times have you heard the most prominent leaders and foreign ministers around the world saying too many people are being killed? President Biden said this is too much on the top. Over it's the not top. proportional. Well, if you believe that too many people are being killed, maybe you should provide less arms. Seriously. You know? I mean, why does that even have to be? What a ridiculous. I mean, good on him for making that very, very. Like, this is the point about the people in power. They're not stupid. I mean, some of them aren't that bright, I would argue, but they know that. Like, it's an obvious dynamic. If, you, if you're criticizing somebody for doing something that you, with the things you're giving them, and you go, that's bad, then you keep giving it to them. You, you obviously don't care. It's just ridiculous. But this is how these games are played. There's always some political argument. To prevent so many people being killed. It's not logical. Yeah. Everybody goes to Tel Aviv. Begging, please, don't do that. Protect civilians. Don't kill so many. How many is too many? Which is the standard? But Netanyahu doesn't listen to anyone. Exactly. They are going to evacuate. Where? To the moon? <laughs> Where are they going to evacuate these people? Everybody sees this, guys. That's the point. That's what's so grotesque about it is that the people who are fighting to keep it going like Pompeo, they know this. They know. That just shows you how inhuman they are. And Israeli forces, they claim, rescue two hostages as airstrikes kill around 100 Palestinians. And other three other hostages. But here's the interesting part of this. To quickly go over this. So it appears, first of all, I think one of them was... Oh, wait, did they change? Oh, no, it was here's Syrian girl they used for the example. This, this was put out by Haaretz. This was yesterday to try to fact check this. But it seems a little bit fishy to me, quite frankly. First of all, the, what caught their attention was she says exposed. Israel lied about these two hostages on the Super Bowl massacre. Now, by the way, even if they did rescue them, it still doesn't make the story any less disgusting. They murdered 100 people to they claim to save two. And three of the people that were killed in that massacre were their own hostages. So it's ridiculous. And all of these people could have been released had they not, had they taken the exchange. But Israel's Peretz paper, it says, already claimed, and this is before uh, the 11th, which is when this happened. It was the um, Super Bowl massacre. So before the Super Bowl, Haaretz had already put out a, a document that showed these people were already released, claiming they were released on the 2nd of February, which you can see if you look closely right here, February 2nd, 2024, right? But it says they have produced zero footage of the fake rescue ever happening, which I haven't seen either. Normally, they're always quick to dump something in your face. But what it says is 
It was a typo. Oops. On February 12th, they were rescued from Gaza, they claim. When updating our list of hostages, a typo led to the date of their rescue appearing as the second. Does that seem like that really makes sense? Because let's realize this was there before the 11th. So so you're telling me that on the 12th, when they updated their lists, that that was when it happened? Like, that doesn't, I right there, I feel like that's a lie. Because remember, my point is, this was already out. This wasn't only on the 11th. This was out before the 12th, and it said the 2nd. That's kind of hard to not see, right? But, of course, they go, typo, our mistake. Okay, well, I'll let you decide for yourself. But Freddie Pontone points out the Israel hostage rescue Rafa. Israeli press seems to have had access to highly classified and very sensitive information regarding a supposed rescue mission of two, two dual citizens of Israel and Argentina, coinciding with Argentinian president visit in Israel. Interesting. So argument being either they had super inside information or they, this is all a lie. Drafts articles, draft articles were ready to be rolled out to go live as early as 4.15 of the morning of the 12th. Now, it's according to the Times of Israel Pol- Police's S- elite Yaman counterterrorism unit, the Shin Bet security agency were involved in the mission. And at 1.50 a.m., the Israeli Air Force started the mission providing air cover for the extraction. And which, by the way, killed a bunch of innocent people, which we already talked about. And they, they said themselves, distraction. So you're willing to murder innocent people so for a distraction. I mean, there's no way you misunderstand. Their lives don't matter to them. Navy's Shayet uh, 13 Commando Unit and the 7th Armor Brigade also provided cover for the extraction alongside the Southern Command in order to allow the forces to detach and to hit Hamas forces in the area, so we're told. I don't see any evidence of that. In Rafa. An area that Israel forces had not yet maneuvered into during their ground offensive against Hamas, which they say is coming. The forces breached the apartment with explosives, they claim, at 1.49 in the morning, killing the three men guarding the hostages and hugged and protected Lewis and Fernando with their bodies. This is what the article says. IDF spokesman Hagari, who's been caught lying countless times, said that within minutes, the two hostages were escorted out under fire from Hamas fighters which again, we've got no evidence of, no video of, nothing, and then taken to a safe spot in Rafa that they're otherwise bombing because it's not safe, same time, to get medical attention. Only later, well, explain, anyway, it's ridiculous. Only later, the hostages were airlifted out of Gaza by helicopter to the Sheba Medical Center in Israel. It would later, it would have taken at least one, if not two hours, he argues, before the hostages were debriefed at the hospital and confirmed in good health and safe to the press. The question is, how on earth could they have had the draft ready by 4.15 in the morning with pictures, etc., is really begging more questions. And he's got the link so you can check for yourself with the archive so you can see the timing. Now he says, what a coincidence. He just happened to be in the country. Argentina's president, you know, this completely faux libertarian who was talking about the demolishing of the Al-Aqsa Mosque and was praying at the, you know, I mean, this guy is clearly not who he appears to be. I think that goes for most people in power today. But it says, why did the New York Times change the title of its article on the topic? Could it be the word diversion that poses a problem? It says, Israel says it struck ha- uh, Rafa as a diversion. That's the point that Robert was making. And then they quietly change it. Oops. Now it says, Palestinians and Rafa described the night of fear as Israeli strikes pummeled the area early Monday 
killing and wounding dozens, are according to the Gaza Health Ministry, and highlighting the cost of Israel's military operation to free its hostages. It says, I swear to God, it was an indescribable night. Who was among more than a million people sheltering in, in the area. The bombing was everywhere. We were convinced that Israel army was invading Rafah. He goes on to say, we must wonder if the rescue is not being used as a justification for killing dozens more civilians in Rafah, district of Gaza, and gives Netanyahu some grounds for further incursion into Rafah, saying, well, we grabbed two, there's probably more down there, right? Netanyahu has clearly ignored warnings from Israel's most important allies, including the United States, Britain, not to proceed with plans to send troops into Rafah, saying that Israel has no choice but to finish its assault on Hamas. Now it says IDF, Raises Palestinian tents, camps in Rafah. No, new evidence of deadly unlawful attacks in the occupied Gaza Strip demonstrates how Israeli forces continue to flout international humanitarian law, wiping out entire families with impunity. Palestinians see what... Oh, I think this was a different one. No, I guess that goes forward still. Last one. They see what remains of their homes and wait for the rest of their family members and neighbors to be recovered in Rafah. Look at that. <sighs> Imagine if that was your home. Your mother looking over your just your you know dead bodies and broken homes. Bottom line is something about that doesn't seem to add up. Now he goes on with another post saying the online voice uh, uh, Torah Jewry. Uh, this is this platform, I guess, is it seems to also have known about this hostage rescue mission as early as February 11th, 9:15 p.m. when they wrote this article, which was never re-edited. Now what's interesting is based on the the, the archive it seems to have come out then but you know you you can go back and alter dates after these dates so that's certainly something but interestingly enough it does seem that there was a, a, a more going on here that this was organized and you could argue it's about trying to rescue these two people but let's realize that the, when you break down the story this seems to have been like a something else is going on here but it says problem is the rescue op only started 1 49 a.m on the next day now, this censored voice adds to this. And this was the point about the timing of the dates. It says, uh, the hostages were rescued on 2nd of February. They carried out the massacre in Rafa. And it's just the same point. You can show them that they posted it and it says February 2nd. And remember, even Haretz admitted this, that they just made a typo. You can see that they posted these. And it was posted before this. So I don't know how that you how you could make logical sense of that. Oh, by the way, here's the, they still pretend to be with family or alive. They still pretend that. They know they're dead. The, this father spoke up and said that. They wanted to give their families bo the bodies back, and that's what broke the last ceasefire, in my opinion. They stopped right after that happened, and Hamas spoke up and said that, but nobody wanted to cover what they were saying. But if they posted this on the second before this, how are we supposed to pretend that was a typo that happened after it? Now, on one more point before we go to some final points here, Betselem, the Israeli human rights group, just wants to just speaking up about other lies, saying debunking the Israeli government's gaslighting and denial of state-backed settler violence. Now, I'm going to go through this in more depth in another show, but it's an incredible thread. You can go through this, and, and what it says is, uh, Smotrich, the finance minister, has already explained that the U.S. sanctions on violent settlers stem from, quote, false and anti-Semitic BDS campaign. So in the face of the shameless denials, they write, here are some things you need to know about the settlers on U.S. and British sanctions lists. And it's, it's, these people are horrific. I mean, like extremist, maniacal, vindictive maniacs that are raping, stealing, burning, you know, deep, pulling up olive tree. I mean, everything. It's horrifying. 
just because they hate these people. And not only did the government give them official capacity, they support it. And Biden did his weird little sanctions, which I don't really think is having that much effect. The point is, they'll go through and prove this stuff to you, as we have many times, showing you videos and breakdowns, their own statements, the support of Israel in what they do. And Beth Selim, an Israeli human rights group, is going, this is just more Israel lies gaslighting you about how obvious this is. Now, to fit it, uh, to to end with this point, which I think is very important, Elon Levy writes, it makes my blood boil that while our soldiers are putting their lives at risk to deliver medical supplies, that's what he says, to the patients in a hospital, a hospital, by the way, they've been bombing incessantly, a hospital in which they just sniper, they just killed a child outside. Uh, I mean, it's unreal, the kind of things they think they can get away with. A hospital terrorists are using as a base, he says. So you're delivering oxygen to a hospital that terrorists are using as a base? How does that make sense? Again, is he even thinking this stuff through? He goes, I'm having to go in, go, I'm having to go on air to confront modern day, quote, Jews are poisoning wells libel. Well, we'll come back to that in one second. The point here, he's going, what do you see in this photo? No, those are not artillery shells. Those are 20 oxygen tanks IDF delivered to patients. Okay, so you're telling me that you went in delivering, which which amounts to a band-aid on a bullet hole, like it's a fraction of what's needed to deliver these one time out of all that's been happening. You're starving them. You won't give them anything. You've not allowed, but you're going to quickly deliver these. I mean, it's, it's, it's meaningless. It makes no logical sense other than for a photo op, which is what this gets exposed for. But you're, But again, I just have to revisit that. A hospital terrorists are using as a base. So you're delivering oxygen tanks to their base. Am I taking that correctly? I mean, that's pretty stupid. Oh, yeah, I'll come back to that. So here is what Red Crescent said. The Israeli occupation forces claim to have delivered oxygen cylinders to Al-Amal Hospital. Again, a hospital they've been bombing, sniping, It's embarrassing they would even try to pretend like they care about these people as they've been trying to shoot them every which way they can. But it says, but in reality, they have prevented oxygen from reaching the hospital for over a week. And this is the kind of perverse torture that I think they enjoy, the specific elements of the Zionist government. It says, resulting in the deaths of three patients, despite continuous coordination efforts with international organizations. And by torturous, I mean, you know, willfully denying them what they need and then pretending publicly to give them that. So they can get praised by people while they look and go, oh, my God, they're getting praised for doing the opposite. Like we're dying because of what they're doing. And people online are going, look at them delivering it for them. That's the kind of perverse thing I'm talking about. It says two days ago, after significant pressure, we obtained approval to bring oxygen into the hospital, the Red Crescent. The Palestine Red Crescent ambulance transported 25 oxygen cylinders from Nasir Hospital. However, The occupation authorities demanded the cylinders be placed closest to the hospital, promising to deliver them. The following day, only 21 cylinders were placed out front of the hospital building by the occupation forces, meaning less. Then it says, contrary to claims, there is no truth to the assertion that the occupation has provided medical equipment. Instead, during their raid on the hospital yesterday, the occupation forces destroyed medical equipment, assaulted staff, and arrested nine medical and administrative staff along with four wounded individuals and five patients' companions. Furthermore, the occupation continues to block the entry of necessary fuel for the hospital, which, by the way, would need be needed to even function these oxygen tanks, 
because you need electricity to make these things function. Fuel for the hospital's electricity generators, despite the fuel supply running out in two days, posing as a threat of, of a shutdown. This occurs amid the ongoing siege for the 21st consecutive day of this hospital. But yeah, let's pretend like they're going to break that siege of everything else to deliver a few canisters. But it gets better. Hold on. Affecting patients, wounded individuals, and medical administrative staff. Israeli army's portrayal of a deliberate targeting of this hospital and its medical staff is false and misleading of a deliberate, uh, basically helping them. According to international humanitarian law, hospitals, facilities, and healthcare workers must be protected. Now, again, to the oxygen part of that, as I think about that, I believe that you can get oxygen from a tank actually without electricity, but in many other cases, what they're bringing in, you would definitely need electricity for, but it goes forward. <clears throat> and this person responds saying, well, as, and this person, uh, I forget what, it doesn't seem like they know, they've, this is their opinion. These are empty tanks. Yet another Zionist propaganda video. Anyone who handles any type of gas bottles knows you do not move or transport them, firstly, without the protective cover in place to prevent damage or breakage, which this do, these don't have, and they, quite frankly, look like they're pretty beat up. Also, you do not stand multiple bottles together as such unless they are secured to a stationary solid object. If they were full and fell over, the sudden shock could cause an explosion, or the value could break off creating a rocket. Point being... This person seems to know what they're talking about. They're arguing that they're not even full, which would completely make sense. Then <clears throat> this person writes, one of your snipers shot a little girl outside that hospital yesterday, which by the way, was roundly reported on. Let me guess. She was part of the rapist, terrorist, baby killing tunnel dungeon Hamasis. Right. So you're going to kill children out front of the hospital, but give them oxygen next day. This person also says, I feel bad. I, I too feel bad. Why can't people let you have one good photo op? Implying it was a lie. You know why? Because of this story. Which guys, by the way, I'm not, I, we went over this in depth when it happened. They put this out going, you'll never see, you know, the media show you how we're helping innocent Gazan. And they went, they went to town on that. Every one of them shared it. Eli, David, all of them. Hen Mazig and all the classic propagandists right now, the ones you know on Twitter, they all shared the same story. The one they didn't share, though, is how right after the filming stopped, they literally shot this guy in the back, which was backed up by local media, by even like, you know, the, uh, I don't think it was like, I think it was like an Al Jazeera, but there was a lot of different groups there that covered this, that proved this person was dead, directly following their engagement with the IDF. And there was like four other examples like this. I've shown you many of them. Now, I rec look into it for yourself. My coverage on this showed me this was provably the case. They murdered this person after pretending to help him. And that's what we're talking about. Examples just like this. This has been covered widely. Israeli Gestapo, as she calls it, held this person hostage. That's why he's dressed like this. They, 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 he was someone they took off the street. They sent him in to this location, the Nasir Hospital, to convince them to leave the hospital, even though they're being shot as they leave, which is happening, right? Then, after he left, they killed him. I think we have, oh, and, now, and by the way, that was the guy we were talking about, right? That's him. And that's why I think Twitter is censoring this, because it's obvious how this keeps happening. And, and there's people talking about this, guys. This is not hard to understand. So they use these people. Now, back to the original claim to show you how ridiculous this truly is. Elon Levy, 
blood libel, all the classic concepts, right? As he says, the modern day Jews are poisoning the wells libels, implying that it's fake. Well, guess what? This, this is a shout out to William who shared this. He says, is this guy trying to say that Zionists don't poison wells during the Nakba? That's what he's saying. That's what his outrageous you know, implication is. How dare you? I'm so insulted you would suggest such a thing, even though Haaretz has proven it. Yep. Haaretz, October 15th, 2022. Guess what they say? 75 years after the fact. Official documentation, meaning Israeli documentation, uncovered in their own Israeli military archives, confirms the IDF attempted in 1948 to poison wells in Gaza. Like, do you must realize how ridiculous this has become? Do you think they don't know that? Do you think they don't know the, the, the ones, the things they're using to be outraged about actually stem to truth? Because that's what the Zionists are. Their history is blatant. That's why they tried to align and, in fact, worked with the Nazi party. It's very clear. You can't you you can't recognize that they align themselves with Nazis as they're killing Jews and argue that it was about protecting yourself from that very entity or the fact that you could prove that these groups have I if, if armed the Azov movement. That's what the Israeli government has been doing, arming the Azov movement in Ukraine. Our rights groups demand Israel stop arming neo-Nazis in Ukraine 2018. Like you need to realize why this begins to make sense. This is not any kind of an indictment of Jews. It's an indictment of Zionists pretending. That's what this is. It's obvious what these groups are. That's Haaretz. Now you can, people can go, Haaretz is anti-Semitic, or whatever the terms become, but you have to realize how ridiculous it becomes when even Jewish groups or Jewish people or Jewish platforms, predominant mainstream corporate groups, the moment they say something, oh, you're a racist. Hard to make that make sense. And here's the article. Place the material in the wells. Docs point to Israeli armies' biological warfare. Poison wells in Arab villages. I really would love to see what he has to say about that. Like, how embarrassing. Let's put this down here. I probably hate my guts. Make sure we got the... Uh... What's weird about Twitter today? Is it the way that it's so, it's different on, on it's different on your phone versus the computer? And sometimes it shows the images, and sometimes it doesn't. It's just so wonky today. Like it really is so strange to me. And maybe it's just me though. Probably the case. Hold on, how did I lose that? Oh, that's right. I was doing it right here. Sorry, I'm getting confused. Up here. Here we go. Include this image. That was my point. For those in the podcast, all I wanted to do was include an actual image so people can see the title and respond to him so people can see that. I said, what, what was that, Elon? <laughs> Moron. <laughs> I should have even said that. It's just funny. These people, it just, I just can't not have a very strong feeling about somebody who is willfully lying. Like, like to the point to where you can almost see it in his face that he knows he's lying getting away with it. Because he is. It's not my opinion. He, they've been lying incessantly. And here's an example right now. How dare you use the Jews poisoning the wells that literally happened, which really is not the Jews, it's the Zionists. And that's the exact reality of how Zionists use them to ultimately hide their crimes. The point is very obvious. This goes forward. This is 2023. 
opinion piece, Gideon Levy, right? Very prominent Israeli Jew who's very critical of the Zionist government. It says, quote, we even destroy their water wells. Yeah, it's not an old story either. It's still happening. Here is an example from 2005. Settlers poison Palestinian well, actually poison it in the West Bank. Yeah, it's not a hard thing to wrap your mind around. Now here, settlers often poison Palestinian water supplies by throwing rotting carcasses into wells. During the Nakba, the regime poisoned land and water. Now, just by saying this, of course, he gets called a racist, even though it's a provable fact that even Haaretz has proven using Israeli intelligence or rather military documentation. But that's how well it works for people that want to follow the line. But it says today the apartheid state pours cement into water springs. This was 2023. We, we covered this at the time. They're using cement into their wells because they don't want them there. Incredible to me how obvious this is. Now, here are a few examples to finish that I want you guys to see. Giannis Tirawi or, or points out the, in the West Bank, not Gaza, the West Bank, Israeli soldiers smashing shops, humili humiliating detained Palestinians in the West Bank. People don't want to see this. As the same. You're, you're talking about not Gaza. So if you can't understand that them doing this to Palestinians in the West Bank is not the, everything you need to see to understand this has nothing to do with Hamas. They are going after Palestine. They're destroying shops, legal shops held by Palestinians, not in Gaza, destroying it for fun, making videos about it, posting on TikTok, detaining Palestinians for no reason, abusing them. God, I mean, there's so many guys. Just, just watch, check, check out this video. This is just destroying it for fun. Just look at this. Just beating up their machines. Is that because Hamas is in there? How do you even pretend to explain this? They just don't talk about it. This is because we hate you. You're a Palestinian and we don't like you, so we're going to destroy everything you own and laugh about it. You tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> My God. Look at this. Any music behind it? Were you pretending these are all Hamas members? They're not. These are just innocent people who are being tortured. And we keep seeing that. <clears throat> Releasing images with, you know, Palestinians with pig faces on them. Like, this is complete torture, ridicule. Everything about this is a crime. They're posting this and getting away with it. They laugh about it. Oh, here, here's an example of stealing money. Sweetest money in the reserves. Israeli soldier looting money from a Palestinian home and praising. This is in West Bank, guys. They stole money from the from the bank. Why wouldn't they steal it from their homes? Nobody cares. This guy is literally selling furniture online from inside a Palestinian home. You can listen to him. He's talking about it. <laughs> Talk about impunity, huh? My God. Now, here's an article I'm not going to go into deep today, but we're talking about them doing this inside of Palestinian homes in the West Bank. Well, here's a Haaretz article writing about doing this in Gaza. Haaretz has published in Hebrew, not English, an incomprehensibly vile article in the style of a lifestyle cooking feature about Israeli soldiers finding and cooking with ingredients in the kitchens of Gazans who are literally starving to death because you drove them from their homes. 
It's real. <clears throat> it says, in every house in Gaza, we found olives, olive oil, full of spices. We cooked there and mixed it. That, this is real. How do you possibly make sense of that? They're starving to death, and you're making articles about how you're finding ways to cook for yourself with their belongings? Here's Censored Man points out, a former Israeli soldier explains how the IDF would select homes belonging to innocent Palestinians, invade them, then harass them to maintain a level of fear. Every house in the West Bank actually has a number. Each and every house has a number. So we would open up the maps and look at the specific house that uh, looked into the right place that we had to enter. Uh, a city center or a road. Um, and after we would verify that the house has the best parameters, windows, and geographical area, we made sure the people in the house were innocent. So you, we, we would enter a house of an innocent Palestinian home in the middle of the night. And But, but this is like the fourth IDF member, or or rather intelligence as well, that I've heard admit this. That this was because this is a this is almost you could, I have to believe there's documentation for this as well. That one guy, the first one I remember talking about this was talking about like a procedure. The bottom line is they intentionally make sure that's right. It was the uh, the heavier set guy with the dark hair who was speaking about this, and he was saying you make sure they're innocent, right? So to scare the other neighbors, going like, well, what he didn't do anything wrong. Well, what 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 did we do something wrong? Like you're trying to keep them unsettled and scared. Live through seventy five years of that, and then tell me how you feel. But I, I would say that what uh, um, motivated me eventually to break my silence was the piercing eyes of young Palestinians when yeah. I was barging into their house in the later joined Hamas middle of the night. I could always justify it to myself, but those eyes, the anger, their fear, uh, was what eventually helped me overcome that. A uh, house of a physician in Nablus, for example, that I entered in the middle of the night, uh, taking him, his wife, and his daughter. And, and pushing them in a room. If they wanted to use their bathroom or their kitchen or use their phone, they need permission from me. Um, that specific house in Nablus stayed with me for a while because that physician himself was kind enough and generous enough to sit down and explain to me what it means to be a Palestinian. And I thought that I was a good moral soldier, that I was actually helping entrench the occupation in that sense. My God, you see, that's being propagandized. It's the same thing we see in the U.S. with soldiers. These people have been convinced, socially engineered, brainwashed, to believe that what they're doing is the right thing. In some cases, I don't think that works, especially what we're seeing today. It doesn't work for most of them, I think. But here's Torah Judaism saying military Israel's military published footage showing it drop a bomb on three unarmed civilians who were simply trying to jumpstart a motorcycle. As they say, this is Torah Judaism. This is one of the groups that's constantly speaking out against Zionism, saying Zionists are today's Nazis. It's a Jewish organization saying there are an inhumane Israeli army. They are the most immoral army in the world. Again, this is published by the Israeli military elements. You tell me what you're seeing here. Hold on, that's not right. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I don't think I downloaded it. Just because you could, I forgot. There's no sound. So you can see it right here. So you can clearly tell. Like, I mean, look, you, so what you're seeing is, is a, you know, an adolescent, it looks like, on a bike, 
And they, they're pushing the bike. Clearly. Boom. All three dead. It's pretty simple. Now you realize that they didn't go, we killed Hamas, right? They're, these are things, they're laughing about this stuff. They're proudly showing you what they're doing. And I mean that, guys. And there's endless examples. Well, here, here's an example. Daniel Amodas points out an Israeli tank besieged the, the Nasir hospital, right? Before, before they pretended to bring a bunch of uh, oxygen tanks. So they besieged it, shooting people, sniped a young girl up front, bombed it many times. Now they come up and they say, you have to leave. They told all civilians to leave, and in the process, they call them animals. Which just shows you. That's how they think. These are, it's not only Hamas. They're telling all the Palestinians that are animals to get out of the way. That's the reality. They're all being attacked. Here's another example. Israeli occupation forces deliberately run over a child on a bicycle. And then shot him in the neck, leaving him critically wounded during the raid on, on a town of Azon, east of, um, I'll probably mispronounce that. It's, it was caught on the CCTV. There's the kid on the bike. They roll up over it, shoot him in the back. It's, it just, it's one after another, guys. One after another. I think we might have shown you this one. Soldiers joking, laughing, filming themselves, shooting ammunition at houses, like random houses. Shooting uh, like RPGs and random shooting. Like, you're going to tell me this is targeted Hamas? I mean, come on. This is, and by the way, who's sending these things? Whose tax dollars are paying for all these weaponry? You, America. And they're just out there having fun shooting buildings. Hope I scream. Come on, guys. I mean, my God. Just so you know, they're laughing. They're celebrating. That's what you're looking at right there. Here's another example. They're firing fire, missiles fired at Palestinian homes for entertainment. You're paying for that. I don't know why they put this stuff in the background. The point, they're laughing. See, this is not about fighting, right? They're having fun right now by destroying Palestinian homes for no reason. Now, here's what the Israeli ambassador had to say about one example we haven't even touched on yet. A young child who was killed or her parents were killed in the car with her. She didn't get killed. She's in the car on the phone calling the Red Cross, the Red Cross, not Crescent, the Red Cross. Asking for help. They sent help. Then nobody knew what happened after that. Then somebody else came across the situation and found her dead with her parents in the car and the two ambulance drivers dead next to them. Must have been, must have all been Hamas, right? It's just, I don't even know how anybody thinks that's even, like it's, it's not, I don't know. I don't even have the words for it anymore. I mean, it just makes me sick. It's, we all know. You know, I know, they know, we know what happened there. They murdered these people for for like the same reason they're firing at these homes. 
And the point is, she's on the phone, and it's heartbreaking. Her, she's calling. They're saying, "Help me! Come, take me out of here!" And they're like, "We'll be right there." And then they die. Here's what she had to say about this. I'm sure you can imagine. And Hind Rajab, and she- and does not re- realize another random news spokesman, because they're all getting caught lying. She was in a car with her family. They were fleeing Gaza City, and. She was on the phone. She was the last surviving member of her family in the car. She was on the phone to emergency services. The Red Crescent sent an ambulance out to her. At the weekend, that girl was found dead in the car, as were the paramedics. Does that constitute a war crime? I heard about this tragic case. I don't know what exactly happened there. But we've seen how Hamas take over ambulances. We've seen how they embed themselves in the hospital. So is it okay to strike an ambulance then if that's what happened? Well, according to international law, when on that ambulance there are terrorists or if they're on the way to perform an attack, again... Well, they were on the way to rescue the six-year-old girl. We don't have all the information. You just keep screaming that. But yeah, we do, though. The Red Cross was on the phone with them. They sent them. They know that wasn't Hamas. They know the girl was by herself with dead parents. So we know every dynamic. The only thing we don't know is why they were murdered. So she literally, you're telling me that you don't know? So you're telling me that you ultimately, somebody bombed these people under the guise that they were Hamas or whatever. Or how about the point that she's making there with the ambulance? You know, the one part she leaves out? That you have to know that. It has to be a provable fact beyond question that they're in there and there's not civilians with them because that also matters. So do they know that? And you're, so you're either arguing that you knew that there and that why that's why which means that you would then be able to tell us now that you knew that it was Hamas, even though we know that's not the case, or you're actually arguing that we it because it might be that we just think it's okay. And the per the lady keeps going, we do know though. We have we're on the phone, we have the information. That's cowardice and desperation. I mean, it, I hope these people can never sleep at night for the kind of things they're allowing to continue. And what she was I recorded asked in a conversation. Again, we don't know all of the information. Yeah, but you do, though. She just told you. You're just talking over her. What I ask you, I understand the criticism against Israel. <laughs> I acknowledge that. But every time you criticize Israel, ask, why are we in this situation? The illegal occupation. This tragic war, this tragic reality that the people in Gaza are living under. Because Israel's funding the people you're talking about. Why are they living like this? Because of the illegal occupation. Who is responsible for that? Israel. The infrastructure of the terror tunnels under... Some of it built by Israel, some built by Hamas, which is no, neither here nor there in regard to an illegal occupation of innocent people, which drives resistance groups to fight legally against illegal occupation. It's pretty effing simple when you really break it down. Underneath Gaza. I don't hear a lot of coverage for that here. Oh, yeah, you do, though, because they can't stop talking about it. But they love to make that argument. Eli does it all the time. Or Elon, excuse me, I keep conflating those two. Acting like, I don't hear you talking about the people from October 7th. Yeah, except every other second they're doing that. You're only saying that because in the one point you're dealing with, they're asking about Gaza. And so you deflect back to something else. The, are, you, are, you, are you actually pretending like the corporate media hasn't been talking about Hamas tunnels? Does she really think that? That's just sad. That's the best they can do. But we need to talk about it. How- yeah, you have already, though. But that's, that's the best they got. Here's an example. Sal Stanafort. Sky News broadcasted a detailed report on how Israeli soldiers murdered a mom and a dad in front of their three kids, the one we were just talking about. First, 
Here's a video about it that's pretty sad. In a, in a separate example, in, in a lunch, in, it was lunchtime. We were sitting down. They raided our house. They shot our mom and dad. They then started shooting at us. And now this is actually a different discussion. Part of a detailed Sky News report on how Israel soldiers murdered a mother and a father in front of their three children. I guess they must have been Hamas, right? Is it that easy to dismiss murder? Second floor, there's a five-year-old boy who was hit by a grenade. A fragment passed through his eye and lodged in his brain. Jesus. But that's just part of Moomin's story. His brother and sister watched it all. It was lunchtime. We were sitting down. 11-year-old Ahmed Hatab was in the kitchen when Israeli soldiers broke into the family home. They raided our house and they shot our mum and dad. Then they started shooting at us. His sister, Buthena, is nine. We went to another room, hiding from the soldiers. They started banging on the door, and then they blew it up. You realize they know they're children, right? They shot at them knowing they were children. They followed them into the room knowing they were children, and they blew up the door knowing they were children. On December 7th, Father Mohammed Hatab called his brother, a doctor, to alert the Red Cross. Their house had been surrounded by Israeli armor. His brother used WhatsApp. He said that the tanks behind the house and excavator destroyed the near house. It's very difficult to move without permission. This is Mohammed's brother, Omar Hatab, a pediatric surgeon at the Gaza European Hospital. My brother called me and he said, talk to anybody to deliver us from there because it's very difficult. The situation was very difficult in shots uh, around the house. So I went to Red Cross and talked with them. Uh, I was very, very worried. Increasingly alarmed, Dr. Omar tried the Red Cross the following day. I called my brother and he said, the tanks around the house can't move at all. It's complicated. Mohammed's son, Moomin, has cerebral palsy. Moving him is difficult, and they wanted to notify the Israelis in advance. On WhatsApp, the Red Cross was reassuring. Their representative said, We've ensured that the houses would not be bombed or destroyed at night and in the future. Their confidence was badly misplaced. Makes you sick. And here is the follow-up of the Sky News discussion with another random and new Israeli spokesman. And just uh, listen to our response. Your uh, reaction to the testimony that we heard there, in particular from Ahmed and Buthena, who are 11 and 9 years old, respectively. So that was a heart-wrenching report um, by, by anyone's uh, judgment. I can't confirm any of the details, um, and it just shows the hell of war, the war that was forced. Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah, war sucks. It's bad. So we'll ignore war crimes because we can't, because you don't want to acknowledge the, like, I mean, what are you talking about? We can't verify anything. If this was an allegation against Hamas, you wouldn't care about that. If it was an allegation against Russia, you wouldn't care about that. Obviously, it's clear that these people were killed. The brother, the the family, there's other witnesses, but it doesn't matter. It's dismiss, deflect, deny. Upon us 
by Hamas on October 7th when it plowed through our borders, My killing uh, children in front of their parents and parents in front of their children, beheading Israelis. Nope. Lie, lie, lie. Comment. That's what you get right away. Immediately go to the trusted propaganda that countless reports have proven are lies. He's slitting the throats of children. Nope. Lie upon, upon lie. These are coming directly from groups like Haaretz that have broken these down. Groups that have broken these lies down directly to their source from people like Zaka and, the, and these other groups that continue to circulate and are provably lying. Based on the people that were there, there weren't enough children involved in what he's talking about to even make up what he just argued. Opening fire deliberately on babies' cribs. Nope. That was also proven to be a complete lie. And the reality of the house that he's talking about was open fire on by the IDF. We've broken these down already. But they just think you're too stupid to see it. They're wrong. This is a brutal enemy that is entrenched and has entrenched itself. And let's not forget, he's doing all of this on the back of what the story was. Imagine hearing that story about how these children were shot at, bombed, and potentially killed after their parents were not, but their parents were murdered in front of them. And this is what you're talking about? You, you will revert right back to October 7th and start rattling off all the propaganda? I mean, what the, I can't even understand how this guy's not already angry at this person. The last 16 years under homes, mosques, um, UN facilities and schools, we have 16 years, an enemy that is entrenched and has entrenched itself for the last 16 years. Always pretending everything after some, the election suddenly changed everything. Like, it's just so pathetic. And remember, Israel is and has been funding that group before and well past that point. But that doesn't matter to him, apparently. Under homes, mosques, um, UN facilities and schools, we are in a situation that is extremely difficult, whereby we need to go after the terrorists, the Hamas. And, and you do that by shooting children in the eye, by blowing up buildings they're in, just in case? Terrorists, while avoiding civi civilian casualties, when the Hamas terrorists... I'm not saying that after the report you just saw. ...are doing their utmost to ensure that the most of the, the maximum amount of... Uh, uh, civilian casualties on their side. Like one uh, British uh, military expert put it, they're not just using their people as human shields, they're using them as human sacrifices. Um, uh, no, I, I, there's, uh, I don't think there's much doubt about uh, what happened on October the 7th. Right, so the point there, which, yes, there is. That's pathetic, by the way. I mean, even from corporate sources, Haaretz down, there's an overwhelming amount of doubt. So this is just the kind of complicity of halfway pretending like you're pushing back. That's corporate media for you. But even then he's going, yeah, yeah, October 7th. We got that. Not what we're talking about, right? Like the idea, it's just incredible. But on top of that, what he just said, wait, what was it again? It was the, um, oh, shoot. One uh, British uh, military expert. Oh, yeah, just the idea that all you, if you just revert constantly the fact that they're, you, it's all human shields. Nobody has actually proven this in this context at all. Not a single example, but yet we're to believe that every single thing you're doing, the bombing of 60% of the entire area, bombed 30 plus thousand people killed, we're just supposed to assume that every one of those locations you proved before bombing had Hamas, but yet you can't produce a single body? Or one inst I mean, you show a bunch of tunnels that you then lie about. I mean, what about this adds up in any way to justify these actions? Put it, they're not just using their people, using them. Uh, I don't think there's much doubt about 11th and that it justifies a 
significant Israeli response. Of course, what we're now talking about four months on is yep. the tactics employed and the effectiveness and proportionality of, of that response. Um, uh, in particular, just to go into the details a bit more, Mohammed Khatab, uh, who was killed, um, was said to be waving a, a white flag and was said to try and warn the IDF via his brother, a doctor with the ICRC, in, in the lead-up. What do you make of that? Well, I watched the report and I said, I don't know the details. I can't confirm any of it. What I can say is that one of the children in that report said very clearly that the IDF told him, gave him a white flag and told him to walk down Salahaddin Street. That was afterwards, though. Okay. Salahaddin Street was the main street, the safer corridor. um, Where where there have been endless amount of people shot while waving, while walking down the safe zone and waving white flags. Where we evacuated Khan Yunus from. So his point is, well, they gave the child, the, so they shot the, the dad waving the white flag and took the white flag, gave it to the child and said, keep walking down that super dangerous street where people are being shot. That's your response? Yep. That's, that's, the, that's the positive spin on this horrifying story. Well, at least they didn't kill the child. Maybe. We don't know what happened afterward. That's just unbelievable to me. Now, just to quickly point out, this, he's talking about the idea that this is more settlers stealing land, which is it's all over the place. But the, this article, under the cover of war, Israel plans to build new neighborhoods for Jews in East Jerusalem. That's Haaretz. They're, they're annexing more territory, illegal in everybody's mind, including the UN, the United States, everybody. While continuing, I mean, what do you think is happening here? It's the continual, remo- excuse me, the removal of West Bank and the continual ethnic cleansing and complete flattening of Gaza. In other words, the complete destruction of all Palestine, which is exactly what we keep telling you, and nobody seems to be doing anything about it in the rules-based international order. So we're going to end with this clip. Not, I'll come back after it, but I'm going to play this clip all the way through. Here's what they're doing. Well, maybe not all the way through, but it occupied East Jerusalem in West Bank. They are now bulldozing more Palestinian homes right in the middle of all this. This is from 18 hours ago. You know why? They don't have a permit. A permit for a place they were illegally put to begin with. A permit after they've been trying to get a permit for years. Every year we ask for a permit. Every year they tell us we're not going to get one. And then time comes around, hey, we want to build a theme park, which is what it actually is. So we need you to get out of the way. Why? Well, you don't have a permit. Should have tried to get one every year for the rest of your life. I mean, it's a game. They never give them. So when they want, they can displace them, demolish their home, make them pay for it, and act like that's somehow justice. Well, it is if you hate Palestinians. Old girl um, who was found dead at the home of a Palestinian man in occupied East Jerusalem is expected to be demolished by Israeli forces on Wednesday in the Bostan neighborhood. Fahri Abu Diab is a Palestinian activist who's campaigned against illegal Jewish settlements in the occupied West Bank. Rory Challens is in occupied East Jerusalem. Tell us what's going on, Rory. Well, down the end of that alleyway behind me, past the arms policeman, you can see the blue doorway, uh, and that is uh, Fakhri Abu Diab's front door, basically going into the compound of his house. We were in that house uh, until about 10, 15 minutes ago when, as you can see, all the police turned up uh, in force uh, and quite roughly threw everyone out. We were pushed down the alleyway to here, where I'm speaking to you from now. 
Fakhri Abu Diab's house uh, is due to be demolished. He was given a demolition order at the beginning of the month and told that anything that was left in the house when the demolishers turned up wouldn't be their responsibility. Uh, the, ah, we can see now that there is a, a digger coming down the road. Now it's quite likely that this is coming down to do the d demolishing itself. We've seen men in high-vis jackets going in after the police kicked everyone out and uh, now we're being moved again. I'm going to try and keep talking to you as we uh, go down the road. We'll try and keep filming. So Fakri Abadiyab is a campaigner uh, who campaigns for the preservation of Palestinian houses in this area. Uh, this is an area, Al Pastan neighbourhood of Silwan, and Silwan uh, is on the outskirts of uh, Jerusalem's old city, and has been targeted repeatedly by demolition orders. What they say about these demolitions, uh, the people who are campaigning against it, the Palestinians, is that by stealth, it's being moved again. Uh, essentially, by stealth, with the uh, with the. Thank you. We're, we're moving. We're moving. It already does. Yeah. That, okay. That's okay. obviously intentional. We're moving. We're moving. So what they say is that the demolitions have really picked up pace <laughs> you. since the war started uh, and that the war is being used as an excuse to basically push through yep. uh, more demolitions. While All of which are illegal in every sense under international law. The UN, even the United States criticizes these. They just don't do anything about it. Because all of this, every single time they build one of these settlements, it is cutting away at the uh, the supposed agreements of the two of the two state solution, the outlined original discussion. I think nineteen sixty seven borders. Every single one of them is a violation of that supposed agreement. Now, if you go back far enough, they tell you the only reason they're not doing it right now is because the Palestinians won't let us. They'll fire a rocket or whatever else. So they explain why inching into that territory and making illegal settlements is somehow logical. The international community, international community has seen this going on, and now we're all, for the first time in a long time, the average people are seeing that relationship. It's, it's failing, but we've seen that it's not about what's right, international law, human rights, or the plight of the Palestinian people. You're blindly ignoring everything you pretend you stand for to allow Israel to break the law. Why is that? Well, the world's attention uh, is on, obviously, Gaza and other things. So... There are, I think, about 116 buildings just in this neighborhood, which are scheduled for demolition at, at some point. And My God. now uh, the owner of that house is going to be homeless, and uh, many other people in this area are likely to be homeless too in the coming months. Mm. Rory, just give us a little bit of background for those of us who may have not been following this uh, story closely. Why is it that the Israelis use the demolition of homes as uh, a method, not only, of course, of, of dealing with situations that you're talking about, but also, of course, we've seen them as, as almost punishments as well for some Palestinian families? Well, yeah, it depends area by area. So this area is uh, part of uh, a, a part. It's basically a part of the of Jerusalem that is uh, the Israeli authorities want to develop into a theme park, essentially a religion. A theme park. Think about that. Think about somebody kicking you out of your home, destroying your home, making you pay for that to build a theme park only for Jews, because that's what it is. That's not a joke. <laughs> like, but I guess that's totally not racist, though. 
I mean, my God. I mean, at the, well, I should say at the very least, only for Israelis. But I, I've already, it's not hard to, I mean, especially with Netanyahu blatantly says in response to somebody saying that this is the state for Jews and Arabs, that he ex- responds aggressively by saying, no, it's the state for the Jews alone. He said that publicly. The point is, it's not hard to understand. It's, it is a racist concept to say it's only for one, one religion. That's ridiculous. But my bottom, the point is, this is all being done to the guys that somehow they're in the wrong, even though they were already illegally displaced more than once to be in this position for the, in the first place. And I've never been allowed to go back to their original. That's the right of return, which is legally the responsibility of Israel. International community doesn't care. And now they're using the permit game to push them out. What, 160, he said? It's just, it just never stops. All of this is illegal. Just theme park, the City of David theme park. What they say is that the houses here are illegal. They have been built without permits. Uh, and that is the kind of the mechanism by which the authorities can come in and do what we're seeing them do. Now, look at the area. Does that look like some like ramshackle, like tents and, 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 and huts? No, this is a, an established area. You're telling me all these are, are illegal buildings? Have they been there for 30 years? Yeah, that's the point. Is that this is just this ongoing game? They've applied for permits. This is a game that's been played. As he said, this is the way they use this. They just don't give them, whether or not they're legally justified. So the point is, they keep that. You're you'll never know for sure. You can live there for fifty years and they never need your house, or one day they could just go, oh, get out. You don't have a permit, even though these things have been there for for a very long time. You can see that these are not just some sort like batched together houses. These are buildings that have been there. It's just, it's so insulting that we don't realize that that some people choose not to see how vindictive this is, how manipulative this is. In different, in other parts of of the West Bank and occupied East Jerusalem, it it depends. It depends on area by area. We have been speaking to rights groups like Beth Salem and Iramim, uh, which are Israeli groups that campaign against these demolitions act in in defense of, of the Palestinians. They say that it's essentially... You know, it's 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 ethnic cleansing is, is. is you know, the, the line uh, and that the, these are uh, unequal demolitions because the Palestinians who uh, maybe don't have the right permits for building are thrown out and their houses demolished. But uh, settlers, Israeli settlers are allowed to come in and they can build, uh, even though settlements are illegal under international law. Right. I mean, they don't need permits. They don't need anything. They can do what they want. And even if there is, it is illegal under international law, no matter how you spin it. It's a very one-sided game, and it's just disgusting. Every part of this, guys, and you see it. You know, I wasn't planning on going this long today, but I just figured I'd want to get get through what I could, you know, but it deserves your attention, as I know you well, as I know you know well. Now, I'm going to be talking tomorrow. I have an interview tomorrow, which I probably won't put out tomorrow, but I'll be doing that, then probably jumping on to cover the, uh, the stuff I was, the, the border conversation and whatever else I tack on to it tomorrow. But make sure you tune in. We got plenty more coming your way. I'm also going to be putting up an article from Derek in regard to the fluoride trial. We got plenty more coming your way. But thank you for continuing to support The Last American Vagabond. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.